Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Trinity Radio. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and today along with me is... Jonathan Pritchett. And... Cameron Bertuzzi. Yes, that's right. That's who you are. (laughs) And we're so glad to be here today on this Friday. Thank you all for coming out. Those of you who showed up because of Cameron, who don't know the rest of us or the other two of us, welcome to the stream. We're glad that you're here. And uh, I just want to say right from the jump that um, I don't know what your thoughts are about what you're seeing in terms of the layout, the graphic design. But since Cameron Bertuzzi is known as the the best design, having the best design channel and all that, I gave him the freedom to, to do all this for me. So if you don't like it, you can just blame Cameron. Right, Cameron? That's all false. That's a lie. That's just a <laughs> well, lie. That's all false. Okay. okay. So so here's here's what's going on. First of all, um, uh, I'm glad to have Cameron on the show. For those that don't know, a few of us who are um, Christian YouTubers and YouTube apologists uh, work together to try and make sure we don't cover the same videos, although that sometimes happens and other things like that. And we're actually friends. And so it's it's this is a person that I talk to on at least a weekly basis and Um, someone who I consider one of my, uh, go-to people when I need to vent about something. And, um, so, and I've said this before on the show, but Cameron has been very helpful to me in terms of YouTube, um, apologetics, helping me after I first kind of got started to, to make the channel look at, he really didn't do the design work and all that, but, but, um, but he helped me to, to get to where I am, which is a far cry from where I was. So, uh, all that to say, welcome, Cameron. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, I'm really excited about being here. I learned about the video responding we're responding to today, this morning, and I watched it. And you you actually sent it to me, and you were like, "Hey, look, I think I'm going to do a response video to this." And I watched it myself, and I was like, "Uh, what if we did it together?" And so that's in part why I'm here. I kind of invited myself on the show to to do a response. It's kind of a distraction actually from what I should be doing, should be focusing on, but uh, it's, it's good stuff. It's, it's going to be a good show today. I think. I imagine when you're Cameron Bertuzzi, you can invite yourself on any show. So. You can invite yourself on this show anytime. Well, I thought I was thinking about that. Actually. I was like, sh- is it weird to invite myself on and then? And then I thought, well, Braxton and I are pretty good friends. I think yeah. that he'll, he'd probably love to, for me to be on. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's, so that's enough about that. Let's jump into the content. Okay. So there is this individual, Mr. Deity. Um, it looks like from the, uh, you know, the accoutrement of the site that he has or of the channel that it's not just him, but it's a few people that make response oh, really? and things like that. Looks like it. And so, uh, but he's the main guy. I think he's Mr. Deity. And so um, he's Mr. Deity. We didn't know. I, I don't think you knew about this guy. Did you? I didn't know about this guy. No. No, I, and, I learned about his existence this morning. Yeah, and and yet he's got a, a fairly large platform with 66,000 subscribers at present. And um, I saw that he was taking a shot at 
Cameron and on a subject that I love to talk about and apparently Cameron loves to talk about, which is the problem of evil, the nature of free will in heaven and all those kind of yep. things. And so here we go. So let, let's jump into it pretty quick. And I've got this divided up into five clips. The first clip is a little bit lengthy. It's like two minutes. I'd rather just play that and, and then get that set aside so that we can talk about it. So I'm going to go ahead and start. This is Mr. Deity. I've been seeing a lot of Cameron from the Capturing Christianity channel lately. He's debated or made videos about some of my buddies and comrades, so I started watching his videos. I'm going to be shitting on his arguments a bit here, actually quite a bit, but I want to be clear right up front. I kind of like this cat. He seems like a good guy. He's genuine, sincere, and the reason I'm making this video, he's obviously an intelligent, articulate person, which is why the title of this video makes me so sad. But let's get to it. So the objection goes like this. Heaven is still going to have A, free will, and B, no sin. But then why in the world didn't God just start us out in heaven? Like, what is the point of all of this suffering and moral evil on earth? Well, first of all, for as long as I can remember, theists have been telling me that free will is the reason for evil. God has to allow us to freely choose good over evil, even though he... He knew exactly what we would choose. To. Don't expect this stuff to make sense. If there's no sin in heaven, what kind of freedom are we going to have? I can choose between doing this good thing and doing this other good thing. If I can't choose some sinful thing I want and I'll still have a sinful nature, Jesus saves us from sin but clearly doesn't change our sinful nature. Then in what sense am I free to choose? I'm clearly only free to choose good. That's not free will which again, I've been told, is the entire reason for evil in the first place. Jesus said that lusting after a woman in your heart is adultery. That's a top-tier, top-ten sin. Am I not going to be able to lust after all the beautiful, perfected women in heaven? If not, how do I have free will? If I take Pascal's wager, as many a Christian has recommended, and get into heaven without really believing or liking God, am I free not to worship him? And can I still think he's an asshole? If not, I'm not free. I don't know what the hell Cameron's talking about here, but let's continue. Cameron, what the heck are you talking about, man? Uh, just stupid stuff. Just a whole bunch of stupid stuff, apparently. So th that was that was kind of interesting. At the, at the very beginning of this, he's like, you know what? I kind of like this guy, Cameron. Nevertheless, he's got this video titled, like, Religion Makes You Say All These Stupid Things. I just yeah. don't, I don't really understand. I mean, that, that to me seems like there's some kind of tension or conflict there that might be, I don't know, interesting to talk about, think about. But um, what I've got, I've got a couple of responses prepared to some of the more substantive things that he said. And that was a long clip. But what I have to say uh, is related to, at least in that, it, the, the section that you played, I've got basically two things I think I want to say. Um, and and encompassed in those two things, there's a lot that I want to say. But uh, so there's not so much you want to say about that, that clip. Is that what you're saying? I have a, I actually have like a whole uh, document here that I've got written up in response on the, on that clip right there. Yeah, I've got it. Yeah. Well, that clip. feel free. I mean, I have things I could say, okay. but feel free to go at it. Okay. Yeah. So the way that I've done this, because what I like to do, and this may help people that are watching it, when you're going through some like a critique video or response video or just anything in general, you want to kind of like formalize your, your thoughts a little bit more carefully and slowly. What I do is I like to get the transcript of, of a video like this, and then I'll read the transcript apart from 
any kind of like a tone or inflection. And that helps me really get at what, what this person's trying to communicate and then formalize my own thoughts. Like, what do I actually think about this? Reflect on it honestly. Is this a good objection? Are they saying something that's, that's like a, a genuine challenge to my beliefs? And so I think overall what I've seen is that there's, there's really no challenge at all to the things that I said in my original video, which I think you've got linked in the description of the YouTube video. I do. Um, yeah. Part of what's interesting is that like the third response that I give to the problem of heaven is like the main thing that I wanted to focus on. And it didn't actually even feature in the video that he played, which was uh, kind of weird to me. It just didn't seem like he was really trying to uh, be charitable in the way that he was characterizing the, the views that I was espousing the things that I was saying in my video. Uh, but maybe that'll be more apparent as we as we go. So let, let me start with the, the first thing that I want to address. And the transcript of this, it starts at about 55. Uh, so right before the first minute, he says, quote, well, first of all, for as long as I can remember, theists have been telling me that free will is the reason for evil. God has to allow us to freely choose good over evil, even though he knew exactly what we would choose. Don't expect this stuff to make sense. And so I wanted to comment on that. I think what he's highlighting here is the so-called like conflict or incompatibility between divine foreknowledge and human freedom. Um, so I'll get to that in a second. But it actually, like, if you pay attention to, to this, to this, and I, I don't think you would have necessarily caught on this if you weren't reading the transcript and going through things slowly. But he says God has to allow us freely to choose good over evil, even though this is the important part, even though He knew exactly what we would choose. That is an expression of something called middle knowledge. And it's interesting. He's, he's, he's almost assuming here, Mr. Deity, or I don't, I don't know his actual name. I wish I knew his actual name because I think Mr. Deity, uh, that almost sounds like, I don't know. It sounds like an insult. Uh, so I wish I knew his real name. So it didn't sound like I was insulting him every time I was referencing It is what him. it is, man. Uh, so so it got basically what middle knowledge is, if you don't know what middle knowledge is, it's basically that God has knowledge about what we would freely choose in any given situation. Um, and so I have two things to say about this. Uh, first, suppose God had, actually has this kind of knowledge, middle knowledge. Uh, does it follow that if God foreknows what we'll freely choose, that we aren't actually free to choose? That's kind of the question here about the incompatibility of divine foreknowledge and human freedom. Um, and my answer to this is no, it doesn't even possibly follow. And this is because the facts that God knows are what we'll freely choose. If God has middle knowledge, it's a fact about what we will freely choose. And so, uh, and again, Mr. Deity seems to affirm in that sentence that I read back to you, uh, that's what God knows. He has middle knowledge. Uh, and so just uh, take a moment and think about that for a second. Yeah, so the second fact, thing before, I want to... Well, before you go on, let's just say, so So I don't know where you stand on this, uh, Cameron, but uh, Pritchett and I are both Molinists, people who affirm middle knowledge. Now, Pritchett is a self-loathing Molinist, um, but but he is one nonetheless. And so like uh, do you have anything to say about this, uh, Pritchett? About my self-loathing? I'm a... Yeah, I mean, middle. You're a middle knowledgeist, right? Yeah, but the but the you thing believe is, that God has that middle, yeah, that kind of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and I so, mean, I'm not a Molina Molinist. Yeah, like we don't affirm okay. necessarily everything Molina held, but 
uh, middle knowledge is what most people think of. And Tim Stratton, for example, one of our professors here at Trinity says that's, uh, that's like mere Molinism if you affirm middle knowledge. And what I want to make clear to the audience that you just said, many of them will already know this, but some would say, okay, if God knows the future and they're not thinking modally, they're not thinking about other possible worlds and things like that, but they might just say, uh, you know, well, if God knows what's going to happen in the future and all the choices that we will make, well, then it can't be that we have free will. That, that's one view. And, and that commits a, a fallacy there of, of thinking that knowledge is causal. But this is actually a little bit different. He's actually granting, I mean, to the extent that I think, and he seems like a, I'm sure he's a nice guy in, in life, but it's, but he's, it, it, I, I don't know that to the extent that he's thinking about this in detail, he is saying, and you pointed this out, no, 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 let's grant free will. Uh, we're not questioning whether you have free will. You have free will, at least uh, on the surface, but if God's, selecting um, which world of free creatures to instantiate, then it's not really free will. And like you're correctly pointing out, no, if we're granting that it's libertarianly free will, if it's free will in the way that, that we're, that we're thinking of here, libertarian freedom, then it's free will. It's just that God chooses which world of free creatures to instantiate. But so some have said it, some Molinists have said it like this, God decides what world you're in, but you decide what you do freely in that world. And I think that's mm-hmm. a decent way to put it. So well, anyway, with, yeah. Pre- without skipping ahead, though, um, and in, uh, the crux of his complaint seems to be, though, that God does know how we're going to use our free will. So he could give you all of this Molinism. And it says, but he still, the, the two issues he brings out is he still created you knowing that you were going to wreak all this havoc with your free will uh, as the explanation of evil. And if so, why would he do that? For one thing. And then the other thing is, if you have free will in heaven and free will is the, the, the explanation you give for evil, then why didn't he create a world and where there is no evil and yet you have free will if that's a thing that's possible in heaven? So that, that seems – he could give y'all everything on the um, Molinism bit, but I think his those are his main criticisms. Well, I'd, I'm not yeah. sure he can give us everything, but let's go ahead and go back to Cam and let him – uh, continue on with his point number two. Yeah. So this one, I think this was just important to highlight because it was something that he kind of said like offhand, he was like, don't expect this stuff to make sense. So he's trying to like throw in a jab. And so I wanted to just respond to this like little side jab, which he was trying to highlight some incompatibility between divine foreknowledge and human free will, which there's a ton of literature on this, by the way, I've even had like two Christian theists on my channel debating on both sides of this. And, uh, there's a guy, Philip Swinson, who I was going to mention later on, I'll go ahead and mention him now. Uh, but he's got a really good model of uh, compatibility between the two. He's got a good solution to it. It's called the dependence solution. And so his solution basically says that God's beliefs depend on our future free choices, which I think what a lot of Molinists would accept as well. Yeah, so it's what just you, a sort of dependence thesis. What you really choose in the present is what God knows in the past. Yeah. yeah. That, or yeah. what God knows in timelessly. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. And where people get tripped up is the, the chronology of it. But uh, that's just because we're not really thinking hard enough. And uh, that's that's one of the the great things about philosophy, about theology, about apologetics, is that we get to really think deeply, and um, yeah, we get to think of a, about a lot of cool stuff. And so, what Mister Didi thinks is stupid, I think that this is just philosophy. This is good. I mean, this is this is a lot of fun to me. Like, it's a lot of fun to think about these these types of issues and think deeply about them. What I don't like to do 
is think superficially and just like reject views, uh, you know, have a surface level understanding of someone else's position and then reject that surface level position and then act like I've done something, which I think honestly, if I'm being completely honest, is what Mr. Deity has done in his videos that he's got a sort of caricature of Christianity that he's got built up in his mind. And then he's rejecting that. And he's kind of like putting some of that on me as well, which is just really strange. I mean, he doesn't know me. I, I've, again, I just found out about this, this guy this morning. I don't, I don't know him. Uh, later on in the video, he he attributes some psychological states to me that's just like, where are you getting any of this from? Um, yeah, but he yes, likes you, Cameron. You know, he likes you. He thinks he li- you say he likes stupid me. things. Yeah, but he, he likes, likes me even though I say just really stupid stuff. That's I like that phrase. Yeah, Christians Christians do that as well, though. They, they'll say something nice before they punch you in the face. So, I, okay. I uh, well, let me. So let me continue. So I wanted to respond to this like little side jab that he was giving about the uh, possible incompatibility between divine foreknowledge and human free will. Uh, So the the first thing I wanted to say was that what he said seemed to assume that God has middle knowledge. And so then if God does have middle knowledge, then like there's no problem. There is no incompatibility, um, but that might take us in a different direction. So uh, on the other hand, if you think that God can't foreknow what we'll freely choose, then you'll likely fall into one of two camps. You'll either be a theological determinist which is like Calvinists, they think that everything is determined, there's no free will. Uh, some some Calvinists will identify as uh, compatibilists, so they think that free will and determinism uh, can kind of coincide, which to me doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, but uh, theological determinist on the, on the one hand, or an open theist, the other. Open theism is something that I'm currently actually looking into myself. I haven't really taken it seriously until I started reading this book by uh, William Hasker. I'm going to have him on my channel uh, very soon here. I'm actually doing a deep dive back into the problem of evil because I'm actually giving a talk on it at a conference coming up. And so uh, I wanted a different take. He's got a really good take. And he's also got a really um, good way of, of making open theism seem attractive. And so I'm, I'm having him on my channel soon to, to talk about it. But let me just uh, let me say this to, to continue my point. Um, so again, theological determinism says that we don't have free will. God determines everything. This is a view I think that Mr. Deity basically rails against the majority of his of his video. He doesn't actually target anything else other than theological determinism. Uh, this view says that God created us to have free will and didn't know. Oh, sorry. Uh, the second the second view, uh, going back to the, the difference between theological determinism and open theism. The second view was open theism. This view says that God created us to have free will, but didn't know prior to creation how we would use our free will. Um, and so remember at this stage of the argument, we're assuming that foreknowledge of what someone would freely choose is impossible. That's how we got to these other two options. Uh, so this view says that we have free will, but God didn't know how we would use it. Um, and so, like I said, I'm actually going to be interviewing William Hasker up uh, pretty soon here. I don't have much else to say, uh, but I just wanted to point out that there are a bunch of different possibilities and a bunch of different views in, in theology that he's not really addressing or taking seriously. He's just kind of assuming that, you know, there's this one view and that's that's kind of going to be more apparent throughout the videos that he's really attacking one version of Christianity that is just, uh, this happens on, online a lot, and it's not just something that he's doing or, or that atheists do. Christians do it too. You find someone who disagrees with you, you boil their position down to something so simple and so silly, and you just reject the, like, the simple summary of it, when in reality, it's probably not what their view is. It's not the best view. It's not the only view, but it is nevertheless a view that you want to uh, criticize because it's easy to criticize, and you can reject yeah. it. And, and I think it would be important just to clarify something for any atheists and even some Christians who may not be aware. You said something that you kind of glossed over because it wasn't really important to your point, 
But uh, this idea about the future and how Calvinists and open theists are kind of bedfellows in this regard, the way in which that is the case is Calvinists, uh, Calvinists think that the reason that God does exhaustively know the future is because he's going to determine it. Um, even if that's done in framed up in the language of compatibilism, that's how he knows the future. But they agree no with the open will. theist. At least many of them agree with the open theist that, um, it, that, that were it not for that, perhaps he wouldn't know. And so the open theist says exactly he, he wouldn't know. And he, since he's not determining the future, he doesn't know. Now they would obviously say he determines certain things. He steps in and does certain things. And, and there's some, a spread among open theists. They would right? say that we know some, he, he knows any potential possibility that could come about from any given scenario. He just doesn't know which one with certainty will come about, but he can, the infinite chess player, you know, kind of. Yeah. Or, or some of them say, and I don't think this would be my approach if I was an open theist, I'm not, but perhaps he can know, but he sets that aside for some reason. Yeah. So there, you know, there are a variety of views, but it's good that you laid that out because you're absolutely right. And I want to point this out, Cameron, as a side note, I haven't said it in a while. And that is that, um, it, it strikes me that many atheists think that if they became Christians, all the, all the questions stop because we've got an answer. God did it. God did it. When in reality, there is a world of research and exploration that can be done once you become a Christian and, At the uh, highest academic a, 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 level. what's that? At the highest academic level. Yes. And even as an atheist, I, I would encourage, and I think you had Jonathan on your show. Yeah, we talked about this, this on, Capturing Christianity. Yeah, you can explore uh, the theological implications, even if you don't believe uh, in theism. So anyway, uh, just some some passing thoughts, but Cameron, continue. Okay, uh, so that was basically a response to that little that little side quip about the incompatibility there. Um, I've said a few things about that. So if God has middle knowledge, then there's no incompatibility. Uh, but if God doesn't have middle knowledge, then you either wind up in two different views, but you still don't have an incompatibility because theological determinism they say that you don't really have free will, at least most of them. I think they should take that view. But then open theism says that we don't, God just doesn't have that kind of knowledge in the first place. So there's still no incompatibility. So I think that no matter which way you look at this, you're not going to get or wind up with any incompatibility. Uh, so then, all right, let's move on to uh, the second. I think is probably his, his primary objection in the clip that you played could be summarized like this. If we can't sin in heaven, then what kind of free will will we actually have? He's, and and uh, let me go ahead. Uh, should I read out the transcript that I've got here to, to remind people of what the you objection can. actually is? But, the, but you're saying okay. this is in the clip we just played. Yes, this is part of the okay. clip that you just played. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, all right, here's, here's what he says. If there's no sin in heaven, what kind of freedom are we going to have? Question. I, and notice that he's asking a lot of questions. Like, that's kind of the way that he goes about these things is he'll ask a question, uh, which, again, questions aren't arguments. That's one of the things I point out the, the very beginning of my video and, uh, and all throughout my work is that questions are not arguments. It's important to keep that in mind. Um, but he does, nevertheless, he tries to follow these questions up with some kind of statement about like his own beliefs. Um, and rarely does he actually defend what he believes. He just kind of like says it. It's, it's interesting to think about going back to him, transcript. If there's no, let me start over. If there's no sin in heaven, what kind of freedom are we going to have? I can choose between doing this good thing and doing this other good thing. But if I can't choose some sinful thing I want and I'll still have a sinful nature, Jesus saves us from sin, but clearly doesn't change our sinful nature. Then in what sense am I free to choose? So again, he's asking like, if we don't have sin in heaven, do we really have free will? I'm clearly only free to choose good. That's not free will, which again, I've been told is the entire reason for evil in the first place. Okay, so this 
transcript this this section has just so many uh confusions actually it's it's astounding uh so i'll take I, I think his overall point is that if we can't choose between good and bad in heaven then we don't have free will that's the last thing he says that's not free will that's a quote it's not free will uh but this is actually nonsense it's ridiculous okay so the ability to choose between go- two goods still counts as free will the ability to choose between two non-moral options still counts as free will. Another thing to keep in mind is that uh, no sane person has ever thought that our having free will means that we can choose between any two options. Like my inability to choose to fly like Superman doesn't make it the case that I don't have free will. Like that's just not, no sane person has ever thought that any kind, like if you have any kind of limitation on your will, then you're not free to choose or you don't have any freedom at all. Well, well that's actually right? a cat. That's actually a, a category error on their part. I'm sitting here right now in this chair in this very studio, willing myself to fly around like Superman. I lack the physical capacity to do it, but that's not a, that, that's not inhibiting my, my, my willing myself to do it. I just can't, I'm willing. You can't myself. deliver on your will. I can't deliver willing. on it, but that doesn't mean that I can't sit here and will to do it. <laughs> So, I mean, a physical limitation is not a limitation on my will. It's a limit on my physical capacities to, to accomplish something, not my will to do it. I've I mean, been sitting here. Which I've been is sitting why he couldn't will himself into another dimension like heaven. I, he kind yeah. of made a crack at that, but it's like, that's the same thing as me trying to fly. I can will all day long to, to fly. That doesn't mean I can make it happen. I've you, been, I've been yeah. willing myself to lose 50 pounds for months and months. But I, I haven't, and I actually could deliver on that. <laughs> yes. Done. Okay. So my point, my point, lest the audience get sidetracked here. The, the my point is that just because you can't do, like, because you you're you're limited in what you can do or what you can choose and what you can actualize, it doesn't follow that you therefore have no free will under any circumstances. You can't choose between anything yeah. else. So, like, exactly. here's just a mundane example. Uh, if you're trying to choose, like, what candy bar to pick out at the store, say you're hungry. And uh, you could really use uh, one of these chocolatey bars that has some nuts in it. And I don't know if I can say the name out loud for uh, advertising purposes. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Anyways, that's not the point. But suppose that you're choosing between two different candy bars. Uh, I mean, so the fact that I can't choose to fly, does it mean that I can't, I, I no longer have free will between like which candy bar I'm going to pick up? At the or Cameron, store? or let's say you out. had candy bar A, B, and C, and you really wanted C and you went there to get C, but they were out of C but there's still A and B candy bars. You still have free will to choose between A and B, which one you want, even though C right. has been taken off and the table. And you had the will to go to the store in the first place to get C, yeah. even though they didn't have it. Yeah, connecting the two. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, the point, yeah, the, the point is that just because you've got some limit or like you can't do some option, it doesn't follow at all that you just have no free will. Like that's just right. a complete, complete non sequitur. Now, uh, that said, Mr. Deity does say that he's told that free will is the entire reason for evil in the first place. He's trying to do something, I think, with that with that sentence. He says that he's told that free will is the entire reason for evil in the first place. So charitably, I think what he's saying, let me just uh, see if see what y'all think about this. So I think charitably, he's saying that Christians say that the ability to choose between good and evil is worth whatever suffering comes along with it. So in other words, the ability to choose between good and bad is valuable. But if it's so valuable, I think this is what he's trying to get at. It's so valuable. Christians tell me it's so valuable. Why doesn't it, it exist in heaven? I think that might be what he's trying to get at. What do y'all think? Well, I, yeah. But for me, though, 
free will is not the explanation for why there's evil. People using their free will wrongly is the explanation for why there's evil. Just summarizing it as free will, because Braxton and I, and we'll probably get into this later, actually believe that you'll have free will in heaven, and there won't be any evil or suffering in heaven. But that does, it doesn't mean that, that it, you, those two things can't be true simultaneously. But the fact that here on earth people have used their free will wrongly, and granted, aside from Adam, however you shake out original sin and, and the sin nature, uh, just speaking broadly without getting into that, actually when you are born again and, and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, your sin nature it remains, but it isn't. You're not a slave to it anymore. So, and in the resurrection, you'll have a glorified body. And he kind of skipped all of those things that are in the theology about this, uh, and not taking those those various steps between uh, being a non-Christian, then then being being saved and then being resurrected in the new heavens and new earth, being disembodied in the intermediate. There's a whole lot of stuff that he's screening out that if he would take a look at, it might make more sense to him. Yeah, and before we go back to you, Cameron, I want to say, first of all, to those that are giving Super Chats, I see you, and I know that typically we just grab those and talk about them as we go, but we're going to wait until we get to that portion of the show. But I particularly want you to know that we're going to come to those, especially Christian Boomer. You have a very powerful super chat that I want to talk about when we get there. So, um, Christian Boomer, yeah, my, my thought, my thought being charitable, as you say, is he's just saying, I've heard the free will theodicy. That's maybe the one I hear the most. And that's supposed to explain everything. And, um, of course we would say, well, no, there's other goods that come from, uh, experiencing evil. I personally do agree with him that the free will theodicy is the engine that makes the others really sing. But uh, there are other theodicies like character building that God builds our moral character and integrity or the reformed theodicy or the heaven theodicy or whatever. So so there are there are other good theodicies. But I take him to just be saying this is the one I'm I hear the most but, or I'm most familiar with. But to Cameron's point about the, the in response to him about, well, that risk for the misuse of free will causing evil, not necessarily free will being evil or uh, whatever. But uh, to that point. I didn't really hear anything that actually knocked down saying that the, the to give humanity free will to freely love um, or, or to reject. I didn't hear any response to that that was meaningful in any sense other than he just didn't like it because of evil. So there's our thoughts, Cameron. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, so... I in the original video that I gave, I gave three different reasons why I believe that God would create not just heaven, but also or not not just heaven, not a world with heaven, but a world that has earth and heaven. And the reason that I gave for that, if you watch the whole video and, and everything that I say, is basically that there's different types of goods that you can have in a world of suffering and then a world that contains heaven as well, or, or in, and especially in a world that contains both because you have you have uh, best of both worlds, essentially. So mm-hmm. my, my response, like I said, is sort of contained is that uh, they each contain their own goods on earth and in heaven. Um, and since oh. God wasn't forced necessarily to create one or the other, he created a world that contains both. Um, and so in other words, arguing, as this is an analogy I gave in the video as well, arguing that God shouldn't have created people on earth because heaven <laughs> is possible is kind of like arguing that God shouldn't have created echolocation because eyesight is possible. 
Um, it just doesn't follow at all. It's like, no, there's goods on both of them. And so long as, uh, in, at least on the earth side of things, where there is suffering, there is evil, as long as those evils are defeated in some way, there's some reason to allow them, um, then it's perfectly open to God to create a world that contains both earth and heaven. And so to argue that we've only, you know, God was sort of forced to create a world and put everyone in heaven, like it just doesn't follow at all. It, it, again, yeah. it's like sort of arguing that because there's there's two different types of, of ways of seeing the world. On the one hand, you got echolocation. And on the other hand, you've got eyesight. It it just doesn't follow that you've got to like pick one of those. You don't have to. You, I mean, why not just create a world that that's diverse and has complexity and, and is beautiful in that way? Yeah. And to your point about um, so long as there's some explanation or, or you said it's defeated, the evil is defeated. And of course, uh, theodicy as a term it comes from uh, a right. word, a compound word that means God and justice. How is God just in light of this? And so what we do, what you've done in your video and what we're doing now is resp resp responding with explanations for how it is, how it might be that, and that's going to be important might be for later on when he says that you just start, uh, making something, you know, out of nothing, you just bring this up out of, out of thin air yeah, as an answer, too, but, but is, is, is we're offering explanations <laughs> for how it might be the case that, uh, God is just in light of certain evils. So, um, yeah. but continue unless you're ready to go to the next clip. I'm ready for the next clip, actually. Okay, here we go. This is a shorter clip, and uh, it's going to be good. I mean, we could just admit that we don't know everything. Or anything about a supposed supernatural being and the supernatural realm he supposedly inhabits, of which we have absolutely no evidence or actual knowledge whatsoever. Probably God has some kind of reason. Or you don't have any kind of good reason, as we'll see, because the whole thing was made up by... Bronze and Roman age ignoramus is not in any way intelligent enough to think this stuff through. And you likely bought it without really thinking about it either, probably because of some overwhelming emotional experience or simple indoctrination as a kid. Yeah, the the uh, shake weight, that's kind of funny. Um, uh, you, you, you bought into it, Cameron, without thinking too much about it, like I bought the shake weight. Um, but he yeah, knows before... me too well. Knows me too well. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's some of the psychoanalysis there, right? Uh, um, it, it's probably true so with good. me. I think me and Pritchett have talked about this quite a bit. We're, it's probably true of us that we bought into it without, if he means without thinking about it too much, without arguments and evidence, we bought into it early on. Of course, we could very easily say the reason we maintain our Christianity or at the very least, the, what William Lane Craig always says is the, the, you know, the Holy Spirit's activity in my life is how I know that it's true, but it's by, and even there we don't necessarily mean Cartesian certainty, but, but it's by apologetics that we show others that it's true. But before you comment, Cameron, and, and if you need to comment first, you can, but just yesterday you had Joe Schmid on your show, who is a really cool guy, a really funny guy, an agnostic, and is a philosophy student, right? At Purdue and uh, and he and I've cut down so I've I've edited this clip because he used a really great an analogy or example and so I've linked that discussion as well as the original video from Mr. Deity in the description as well as some other stuff just to help you out and get an article I wrote on free will and heaven and some other things but um, you need to watch the whole video on capturing Christianity with Joe Schmidt in fact watch anything on capturing Christianity and especially the ones with Joe Schmidt because they're they're really they're really great but i just think it's good that we've got here an agnostic he's not a, a, he's not a theist he's not a christian but here's what he has to say about the regular claim by atheists that 
Uh, there is no evidence for uh, the truth of Christianity or God's existence or whatever. So, so, so yeah, so here we go. No evidence mantra. So you oftentimes hear mm. on internet atheist communities and whatnot, which is largely what we're focusing on, a kind of more new atheist type um, uh, people, you often hear them say that there is no evidence for the existence of God, or there's no evidence for theism, or there's no evidence for Christianity, and, and on and on down the list. Now, uh, I think this is a pretty big mistake, uh, and it has to do with what evidence is. Evidence is something that is more expected on a hypothesis, like you'd, you'd have a greater probability or expectation of seeing it, a greater likelihood of seeing it, than on the negation of that hypothesis, or perhaps on a relevant alternative hypothesis. So it's all about probability raising. And with that in mind, the claim that there is no evidence for theism or for God's existence is quite, quite implausible, very implausible. Yeah, <laughs> that is to say. It's very, very <laughs> implausible. And why is that? Well, because there do seem to be things that are much more expected on theism than on the relevant alternatives, say, let's say naturalism. All right, so there you go. So if you're out there and you're and you're you're one of those people that says, "Well, there's no evidence." Think deeply about what you're calling evidence and how you're thinking about evidence because here's someone who's not um on team Jesus here. <laughs> yet and yet hmm. he's he's saying, "Yeah, but you guys, you atheists out there, quit quit talking that way." Cameron yeah, uh, I would just say because you you cut the clip down for uh, for time, but I would say go listen to the whole thing because he actually has a pretty cool like demonstration with some jars and jelly beans yeah. and stuff. It's really helpful, and we talk about a lot of really cool things in that video. The, the title of the video is Three Biggest Mistakes Made by Atheists," something something like that. And so we each gave our our own three, and it was actually inspired from an atheist YouTuber asking his audience for uh, for answers to that question. So yeah, I would I would definitely recommend watching the whole thing. That was Joe's, I think, third biggest problem was the no evidence mantra. And that definitely reared its ugly head in this video that there's absolutely no evidence or actual knowledge. I don't know what actual knowledge means. But yeah, that clip, uh, definitely go watch the whole clip if you want a, a further response. But yeah, that, the next thing I, I had to respond to was the, uh, the bronze and yeah. Roman age ignoramus comment. So that's, I'm happy to move on to that if you want. Yeah, that's a guy who's never read books that are old. C.S. Lewis would probably vomit at that comment because he's, all the all the stuff he's break it down, Pritchett. Yeah, I mean, he's actually standing on the shoulders of a lot of Bronze Age and, and Roman Age ignoramuses. I mean, in fact, I'd argue that some of those ignoramuses are more brilliant than ninety-five to 99% of most people living today. That's so, a scientific statistic. Right. Yeah, uh, well, just by observation, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I'm sorry, they had, they weren't stupid, you know, they weren't ignoramuses, they weren't just a bunch of superstitious uh, idiots running around in the ancient world. A lot of brilliant stuff that has carried on till today comes out of those bronze and Roman age thinkers, so... And there's yeah. great wisdom and, and, and insights to be drawn from that well. Um, and a lot of what people are talking about today is just repackaged ideas from them. I mean, Darwinism goes back to the atomism of Zeno and others in the Greek tradition. So I, I don't know. It's just it's a it's a line. It's become kind of a bumper sticker thing. But it's 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 one that a lot of atheists and agnostics like the guy you interviewed should also find embarrassing if. If 
you know, reading books matters. But Well, you mentioned C.S. Lewis, and so I did want to talk about him just a second. He actually coined a term, him, him and another guy coined a term called chronological, chronological snobbery. Such a good term, chronological snobbery. Here's the way that it's defined. Chronological snobbery is an argument that the thinking art or science of an earlier time is inherently inferior to that of the present simply by virtue of its temporal priority or the belief that since civilization has advanced in certain areas, people of earlier periods were less intelligent. It's actually a, a sort of informal fallacy, something called an appeal to novelty. Like newer things are obviously better, more reliable, or more intelligent these days, which biologically doesn't make any sense at all. I was even talking with a uh, biologist friend of mine who's Christian, and I asked him if there's any evidence that uh, humans from just a few thousand years ago were any dumber than us today. And uh, there's no evidence for that at all. So it's just interesting that we 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 come up with these these ideas seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, not not just the quip about these ancient people being ignorant and dumber than us, but also the second part of of his comment here was about my own psychology. So he's playing psychologist here and trying to to figure out why it is that I believe that Christianity is true or how it came about. What's interesting, I've got an article on this on my on my website. I call it an article as a blog post that I wrote, but it's based on the work of a guy named Justin Barrett. Justin Barrett, now he's an actual expert in cognitive science of religion. So a lot of these atheists, at least online, and you know, the, the ones that are that are not very serious, will try to play like amateur psychologist and they'll try to uh, sort of guess why people believe in, in different religious claims. And there's actual experts who study these things and perform experiments, uh, even with little children, and try to figure out like why they're so um, sort of engendered to to have belief in in different deities and different gods and the supernatural. And so there's been like actual work on this. And one of the guys that works on this is Justin Barrett, and he's got a whole bunch of work on the indoctrination hypothesis, showing that it's just a completely na- excuse me naive hypothesis um, that doesn't explain anything. It's not taken seriously like by the relevant experts in the field. Uh, but we know why children tend to believe in God. And it's not because of anything like indoctrination. He even says that the indoctrination hypothesis is just a super inferior explanation because uh, indoctrination does not always work. You can try, some, some, depending on the claim itself, depending on what you're trying to indoctrinate into somebody. Um, so like, here's just a really easy example. Try convincing your your child that their favorite color is some other color than than what they tell you. My son's favorite color is green. But if I tried to indoctrinate him and tell him that his favorite color was red, probably wouldn't go down very well. So what the, the point here is that indoctrination doesn't always work. So it's a sort of inferior explanation. It doesn't cover all the bases. You've got to look deeper. And it's just that humans have a, a tendency. That, I mean, there's, there's other sort of uh, mechanisms that, that go along here to explain belief in the supernatural. But uh, it's nothing like what you see here. Overwhelming emotional experience or simple indoctrination as a kid. Those are not theories put forward by experts. They're put forward by people on the internet who like hear some other person say that and be like, oh, yeah, that sounds reasonable. I'll, I'll just say that too. But it's not based on any evidence. It's not based on any actual scientific research. It's just these people playing amateur psychologists. I just, just, it just blows my mind that this stuff happens. I don't know. Kind of went on a rant. Yeah, there. well, and none of that has to do with whether or not it's true. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to mention that the Sharp Bus says, "Why not Doctor Deity?" He seems to think he knows a lot. To our knowledge, Mister Deity has not yet earned a terminal degree. Otherwise, he would be Doctor Deity. 
but um, we'll let we'll keep. It sounds you actually today. better. Yeah, sounds a lot What's better. That? What sounds a lot better? It sounds a lot better. It almost sounds like a superhero name. Mister Deity yeah. sounds like side like some side sidekick who like gets things wrong all the time. Yeah, yeah. You got to make it. We'll 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 pray that he gets a terminal degree and then he can be Doctor Deity. All right. So uh, is there is there anything else on that clip? No, that that's all I've got to say. I mean, you guys mentioned earlier that like. Yeah, apologetics and philosophy explains why you're still a Christian, and this the same would be for me as well. And so, I mean, there's just I, I even did a, an interview with Robert Bishop Robert Barron, and to yeah. boil something down like this, some, something that's so like central to your worldview and who you are and, and all that, to boil it down to like two simple things and be like, oh, you believe because of this, is actually just so uh, quick and it's naive and it's it doesn't really take the human experience or the human psyche seriously it just sort of tries to i don't know it's it's a very simplistic way of looking at things and it's i mean when you when you actually get serious about stuff and you, you've got to be a little bit more nuanced and you've got to take different views into consideration and yeah well and, I think and you know everything it's, I it's um it you know there's a part of me obviously like the the per, for people like us who have been into the worldview discussion space for years there's a part of you that that wants to jump out and and like first year apologist, cage stage apologists, and say, "Well, hold on, um, that's that. It, how, what does it matter where where my belief came from to the truth? Which is which is a relevant point it doesn't. to make, right? That's not that's not an irrelevant point um, because it could be that if my reasons for believing, the only reasons I have for believing are bad reasons for believing." Well, then that that might speak to whether I should find this position plausible or not. But at the same time, it's also true. What, what the what the cage sage apologist would say is not false, which is I may have come to believe that the earth is more or less spherical because I read it in a comic book and reading something about the nature of reality from a comic book is not the best way to make big worldview decisions. But it's I would still be right that the earth is more or less spherical, even if the only reason I believe that was because I got it from a comic book. So, um, you know, it, it but. I think it is relevant that at, when you come of age and let's say you get to your early 20s when people start to tear these things apart and put them back together maybe for the first time in a big way in general. Um, yeah, there are reasons. There are we there are good reasons that make sense and uh, and make it reasonable to believe. Yeah. Okay, uh, next one. Uh, let's see. So on this issue of choosing heaven, uh, Cameron, you, you're talking about that. Well, people ought to be able to choose heaven. That's a good thing. Well, he's got some thoughts on that. So here's what he has to mm-hmm. say. And I mean, the Bible doesn't say that we should know the reasons behind everything that God does. And we also definitely shouldn't fall into the trap of trying to bluff an answer when you don't actually have an answer. As as you're about to do? I can think of at least three reasons that God would have to not just start everyone out in heaven. Let the bluffing of the answer begin. In general, it's just an extremely great good that people can choose to be in heaven. Can we now? Well, then I choose to be in heaven right now. First of all, who wouldn't choose heaven? And why would God make some people he knew would choose heaven and some people he knew wouldn't? Surely, since God knows everything, he could have just created the people he knew would choose heaven in heaven. No evil, no suffering, just what any omnibenevolent super being would do. Okay. Now, Cameron, I know that you want to comment on that. And I also know that 
we said we were going to get to super chats and questions at the end. And I know that for some people giving $10 is as big of a sacrifice to them as someone giving a hundred pounds is to someone else perhaps. But I just, I have to highlight this um, real quickly because there is a person who every time we do a live stream for the past, like, I don't know, five or six Pritchett live streams, this particular person has done something like this or up to five times as much as this. And I want you to know, Jason, that you are single-handedly changing the quality of the show it, because yes. we, we, everybody's been helpful. We just it's, spent more money today because, because yeah, of, Cameron was because of the, these kinds of mad games. at me because I didn't have a particular type of software. And now I do. So, um, I just, I just want to say thank you so, so much. That yes. is so unbelievable. And I don't care how many people think that calling out these super chats interrupts the stream. Well, this guy is really blessing the kingdom, hopefully through us. And we, we really want to just take a minute and say each time, thank you so, so much. You don't know what it does for us. And that's true of everyone who gives any super chat. Um, but thank you. Thank you so much. All right, Cameron. That's so good. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, and, and Cameron, by the way, you know, if you're not, I don't think I need to say this, but if you're not subscribed to Cameron's channel, Go subscribe to Cameron's channel if you're into these kind of conversations because it's what he does. And uh, and 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 Cameron is at the, an amazing place where the channel has just grown so rapidly, and and there are people like that 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 have supported him. And so, um, I, I this is a platform that that hasn't existed to the extent that it has grown over the past few years, where we have these big apologetics channels that are responding to what's out there in a medium that is still somewhat dominated by um, atheistic messaging. And so I, I really appreciate uh, that. And, and if you appreciate Cameron, go check out his channel as well. All right, Cameron, you're up, man. Yeah. Uh, on the topic of my channel, I wanted to point out quickly that like what you're watching today is a video that I made a while ago. And then now I'm doing a response to it with Braxton and Jonathan, but that's not typically what I do. What I typically do is I interview experts or I'll host a discussion between two relevant experts on some topic related to, the truth of Christianity. So this is not typically what I do. Uh, nevertheless, it's really fun. I really like thinking about this stuff. And so that's, oh, oh, and I also find it obviously very valuable and very important. So that's the, that's the reason why we're doing this today. But I just wanted to make everyone aware, if you're uh, going over to Capturing Christianity for the first time, uh, the content that we produce is a lot different than what you're seeing here today. So yeah, uh, but- with that out of the way, well, on that note, though, I do want to say, as as a fan of Cavity, I do like your solo content. So, and I I like videos that you put out that are like this as well. So, don't just go Appreciate for the, the 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 interviews. Go watch all his stuff. It's good stuff. Plus, those kind of videos so, are shorter. Yeah, they are. They are a lot shorter. They're they're uh, typically only minutes long or or less than thirty minutes. Okay, uh, back to the content. So, one of the things he uh, made a response to was the the bit about not bluffing because i said i said it's just a really bad thing to i i hate seeing this online i hate it when someone's in like the thick of a discussion and they're like getting to the end you can kind of tell that they're like getting to the end of what they know about and you can tell that like they say something you're like did you like do you really know what you're talking about when you said that like i don't i don't know dude like it's kind of just seems like you're just saying this stuff like i don't know what what i see that i just claws out a little bit (laughs) <laughs> when I see that, I'm like, I just, I really don't like that. And so that was, that was what I was saying in this video. It's like, I, 
So basically the point is that you, before you give an answer to something, do some research, understand what your view is, understand what the objections are. Like, don't just say the first thing that comes up off the top of your head and think that that's a, a, like a reasonable response to something. So that's, that's kind of what I was getting at here. And so then he used that as like a way to jab and say that like, okay, I just come up, came up with this stuff, but it's actually based on deeper research. Like the first reason that I gave was based on a paper by Josh Rasmussen. Second reason I gave was based on a paper by Alvin Plantinga. Uh, he called it the, uh, it's called superlapsarianism. That's the, that's the long name. Um, but in the third one was based on uh, a book by Trent Doherty, basically arguing, uh, giving a theodicy for animal pain. So it, it's all based on deeper work. It's based on, um, I, I've thought about these things for a while. It's definitely, it's like the opposite of, of what a bluff is. So I don't know. I'm, Maybe I don't know if that's worth saying or, or clearing up, but I just felt like well, that it's, was it's kind also, of a cheap and, and this is, I said a moment ago, I was pointing forward to this in, in saying the way God might be handling things. Uh, theodicy is an attempt to explain how God is just in light of these things. And often what we do is provide what might be defeaters to the claim. And so I've tried to explain this uh, before on the show, but like if Cameron and Jonathan and I are sitting in an actual room in meat space together and there are no windows in that room, and Cameron leaves and he comes back later and he's dripping wet and his clothes are dripping wet. Um, and Jonathan says the only explanation for how it is that he's soaking wet is he got into a shower with his clothes on. Well, I may not actually know the explanation for why Cameron is dripping wet, but I know that Jonathan's claim that that's the only possible explanation is wrong. Epistemically, it's possible to me that he could have fallen into a pond while he was walking back afterwards, or he could have, it could have started raining all of a sudden, you know, or something. There are other explanations that are possible that defeat the claim. I may not know for sure that they're correct, but they defeat the claim that it must be that he got wet that way because he got into the shower with his clothes on. And in a similar way, um, what, what you've done here is to, is to offer possible explanations uh, that you may hold to greater or lesser degree of confidence that do explain why uh, that would offer another explanation aside from the one that, that he wants to posit. So I think that's yeah. an important thing to think about. It's not that you're just pulling it out and saying, here's the answer. It's you're saying, here's a possible answer to consider. Right. Here's the thing about yeah. that. We spoke about this last week about speculative theology and how we're fans of it, because it's not coming just out of thin air. What it comes from is, by the way, Christianity is true. I, I've seen that somewhere. And if you reason from the scriptures and assume that the scripture is true and that that's the way the world is, it's a, that Christianity is true, you can reason from that onto things that it doesn't tell you specifically about based on what it does tell you specifically about. And you can sort through all of those inferences and see which ones are valid and which ones don't work. And there's... So I don't know the complaint about this, but it's not from nothing like he was ranting about. Yeah, and so. it goes back to Josh yeah. Rasmussen's in, in his wonderful book, um, Reason to God, Can We, or whatever it is, top down, you know, <laughs> it's like backwards, top down. But, uh, but, but he's talking about how actually you may think our reason can't, we can't possibly get that far out with some of these explanations just by thinking about it sitting in an armchair. And his response, not about this, in his case, he's talking about contingency, a contingency argument, but actually you can, you just got to build the correct thought bridge that gets you out there. Right. So a lot of mm -hmm. the, our doctrines are built upon biblical data plus reason and reasoning from that data to 
doctrinal formation. So, I, you know. but we don't want to mess up your flow. Go for it, Cameron. Oh, no, it's okay. I was listening to the first thing that you said, Braxton, about having a bunch of different possible answers. Uh, I want to say two things about that. Uh, the first, the first thing that I want to say, and, and I actually kind of lost the second thing. So I'll just say the, the first thing. Um, but this is something that happens in science all the time as well. So think about something like the, the theory of evolution. So there are anomalies that come about in uh, the theory of evolution, like the eyeball. That's a, that's a big one that, that gets a lot of focus is like how in the world could the evolutionary process produce something like the eyeball? Because in order to even begin the process of a, of a mutation that's going to give some kind of like, uh, what is it called? Any, any kind of like natural benefit or what was I can't think of the term. Um, that's going to confer some kind of like survival benefit to this creature. You know, it's got it like, why would it, why would just this random creature have like a ball of gelatin, like on the top of its head, couldn't see yet or like couldn't detect light or, or whatever. So it's like, so it's like, uh, th- this, this is the kind of thing that happens with a lot of different theories, I- including like one of the most uh, well-evidenced theories out there, the uh, the uh, theory of evolution, is that you have these anomalies and you can say, well, okay, look, you can ask a question like there's no – or how could the evolutionary process have created the eyeball? And that and you could just stop with that question. And this is, this is another reason to highlight the point that questions are not arguments. And what evolutionary biologists do is they'll be like, okay, here's one possible solution to this. They'll offer a solution and say, you know, I don't know if this is exactly how evolution or the process of evolution would have played out, but here is a possible route that could that it could have taken in order to get what we now see and what we now see in the world. And you could do the same thing. And, and I guess the second point, I, I remembered it now, was uh, if you're going to ask a kind of like speculative question like this, why wouldn't God just create everyone in heaven? Don't be surprised when you get a whole bunch of speculative answers is you're you're the one that's playing in the world of speculation so like don't be surprised if people are playing the same speculation game and just sort of f- philosophizing and thinking about these things from different angles that you may not have thought of yourself but it's the same thing that's sort of happening with the again the theory of evolution is that you've with some of these anomalies you can give a possible story of of how it would have come about that doesn't necessarily commit you to that idea um but I, I, I suppose that's just a, a sort of side point to make about the similarities there yeah, I, and what people are doing. filled with just so stories, and they can be helpful for, for what they're doing. So Yeah, right, right. They can respond to some of these, uh, these potential anomalies. But re- remember, so, though, science gets the privileges that religion can't have. So, right. In their uh, okay, so uh, let's get back to the clip that you played. Uh, one of the things he says, or one of the questions he asked, rather, is... Who wouldn't choose heaven? And then I, I didn't even notice this before, but he like put up me and Christopher Hitchens or something like that. Besides and me I wanted and the to bitch. Add, yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to add one other. Matt Delahunty, you you focused, you, you did a video on this like a month ago where he explicitly said, no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. And so and what so we Matt, love actually, Cameron, is um, when, when I did my 10 questions video that several dozen atheists responded to in, on videos of their own. Um, many of them, or at least several of them said, um, no, I wouldn't worship such a God. If I found out that Christianity was true, why would I worship a thug like that? And blah, 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 blah. It's the Matt Dillahunty sort of thing. And what we loved was there's this British atheist guy named Noel Plume or Plum, Noel Plum. I don't know if you've ever seen him. And he was like, I saw the, I saw the clip. Yeah. You played it. He's like, who do you think you're going to stare down the Christian God? Yeah. Okay. Right. But this, this obvious bit of self-defeat that 
who wouldn't choose heaven? Oh, wait. Turns out him and and Dillahunty and Christopher Hitchens, turns out actually a lot of people end up in that same boat, which proves the point that, you know what? Not everyone does choose it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that, that response to that is question like who, choo- who would choose heaven? Uh, you, bro. You, Mr. Deity. Yourself and your boy Dillahunty. Both of you guys would choose hell, apparently. Okay, uh, next next thing, uh, I've got another transcript from him. And he says, uh, quote, Why would God make some people he knew choose heaven and some people he knew wouldn't? Surely since God knows everything, he could have just created the people he knew would choose heaven in heaven. No evil, no suffering, just what any omnibenevolent super being would do. Well, then okay, Mr. So, Deity wouldn't exist. Yeah, possibly. Possibly so. Uh, If universalism is false. Okay, uh, so here's let's look at some of the assumptions here in this uh, this transcript. That's that's why I love doing this, laying out the whole transcript, reading it carefully. You don't have to listen to his uh, his voice or his his tone and inflection. And so it just like that because rhetoric plays actually a, a whole lot into all of this. And you can listen to someone talk and it sounds like they're saying something uh, super reasonable or super powerful. And really, they're just it's just empty, completely empty. Okay. Yeah, and Cameron, so I, I know I know that one of the difficult things about this sort of a response video where you're with other guys is that sometimes we have to break in. But but I I do want to say something about that. It'll be very brief. And yeah, is that feel free. Think about it's the question. Did, yeah, yeah, that's right. It is. Um, but did <laughs> did that, did Mr. Deity uh, did he do that with Cameron's video? Well, probably not. But that's okay because many of us don't do that with the response videos that we. That we do, but but it, it leads to a question, a, a response that I want to make here, and that is that not all, but certainly some uh, atheist channels out there, and I imagine this could be true of Christian channels as well. So this could go both ways. Are more toward entertainment value than they are toward necessarily really hard hitting content, and um, and our channel is often a mix of that, especially on the Friday live stream. Um, there, but but it strikes me that. What we have in a guy like that is he does want to make a point. He does want to respond to the case that you're making to a certain degree, but he's also trying, you know, as much, just as much at least to be funny and look for opportunities to throw out some. And, and like you just said, sort of, and like we, we, we've said many times is the most powerful thing I think about most of the uh, chain, atheist channels on YouTube is the, the most powerful thing is the rhetoric and the mockery and things like that. That is the confidence that these people exude is moving to some people. And, and I think that to be the case more than the arguments a lot of the time. Now, occasionally you get uh, somebody who's got some real content. But don't you dare be good. confident about your beliefs about God and Jesus. And don't be confident about that. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, uh, Cameron, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. No worries. Okay. So uh, just to remind people of what he's asking here, what he's trying to get at. So the assumptions, I think, that are sort of built into this question, he says, or he asks, why would God make some people he knew? Listen to that. I mean, look at the assumptions here. Why would God make some people he knew would choose heaven and some people he knew wouldn't? So he's assuming, again, he's assuming, it seems to me that he assumes that God has middle knowledge. Does that sound like he's assuming that to y'all? No, omniscience in general, yeah. Yeah. Why would God make some people he knew would choose heaven? It could be middle knowledge or it could just be exhaustive foreknowledge yeah. of the Arminian sort. Um, well, he's using like the word, he, he, he's using the word would, not the word will. So that to me he knows says it's middle knowledge. He knew what yeah, okay. people would do. 
So yeah. it's not, I mean, yeah. he's using subjunctive language. That's the technical term, subjunctive language. And it's not, it's not indicative. It's not like he knows who will choose heaven. He knows who would choose heaven. And some people he knew wouldn't choose heaven. It seems to me like he's presupposing that, that God has middle knowledge. So Because uh, if I also... actualize this particular world, they would mm-hmm. do this. If I actualize that world, they would do that. I Whereas could create a world where people view, they would will choose heaven. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Right. So seems to me, again, he's presupposing that God has middle knowledge. Uh, he's also assuming that God can actualize whatever possible world he wants. That's another assumption in here. Alvin Planning pointed this out in his book, God, Freedom, and Evil. One of the best books in philosophy of religion you can read. It like opened my mind to the world of analytic philosophy and how good it is. Like highly recommend going and reading it. I've got it on my shelf back here. It's very small. It's about, I think, 120 pages long, but it's just super, super good. Uh, so Alvin Planning has famously argued, uh, demonstrated that this claim is dubious. He's assuming that God can actualize whatever possible world he wants. Um, so what Alvin Planning argues is that if God does have middle knowledge, it's possible that there are no feasible worlds. And there's a difference here is distinction between a possible world and a feasible world. A possible world is just sort of like a coherent set of propositions, a coherent way that the world could have been. That's a possible world. And an uh, um, a feasible world is a, a world, a possible world that God could actualize, a God that a world that God could end up actually creating. So he makes a distinction here between a, a possible world and a feasible world. Uh, and so what he argues is that maybe it's possible there are no feasible worlds God can actualize that contain only in all people that go to heaven. Maybe all feasible worlds God can create, and this is because of free will, facts about free will. Maybe all feasible worlds God can create contain people that freely choose eternal damnation. For example, maybe all feasible worlds contain Mr. Deity or Matt Dillahunty in them. Uh, And so here's another potential solution to this. Uh, Maybe uh, universalism is true and everyone will wind up in heaven. That's that's another potential solution here. Um, And another solution we haven't talked about at all is open theism. But this requires a denial the possibility of middle knowledge that it seems like Mr. Didi is presupposing here. Um, so I don't know if he'd even consider that, but it just seems to me like his objection is sort of assuming that. But what are y'all? What are y'all's thoughts on what I had to say about album planning, a feasible world's middle knowledge, and then also uh, yeah. universalism as a potential response well, I think, to this? Okay, so for me, universalism of the sort you're describing isn't a, a live option, but that's not to say it's Should not a live be. option for some people. Right. It yeah. should be. Well, it's an option why, in the sense so that it? it's possibly true. So uh-huh. in that sense, it's an option. But for doctrinal reasons that are beyond what we could probably get into in this show, right. I, I don't affirm and am unconvinced um, yeah. of it. But Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm not convinced of universalism either, but I think that it's a potential solution. So if we were to get is. backed into a corner it would solve that. where we're like, yeah. there's no way out of this problem. Doesn't It doesn't defeat Christianity. It would just push us to a different interpretation of uh of the end times so like what happens when everyone dies i mean that that to me is sort of like worst case scenario you just end up being a christian universalist and there's like no problem at all to, to me that's yeah like, it, yeah now, now there, there's a good question would i if i found out universalism is true would i not be a christian anymore well of course i'd still be a christian because i still yeah. think god exists and god raised jesus from the dead so yeah at some point i wouldn't that would be a stop I would get to before abandoning Christianity because of his argument. That's a relevant point. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I, I, I th- go ahead. 
I was just going to say, I think it's a serious position. I mean, even uh, a guy that I've interviewed, Jerry Walls, he's a professor over at HBU. Oh, yeah. He's he's he claimed I've, I've done an interview with him on uh, why an all loving God would permit people to go to hell. And one of the things he points out is that there's basically uh, three primary positions on uh, the view of hell. So there's the traditional view. There's annihilationism, which is a view that I lean toward. And then there's universalism. And he says that all three of these positions are biblically serious positions. And so otherwise, uh, in other words, there's people who defend these views and they do so seriously using scripture. Now, obviously, sure. there's disagreements in Christian theology, between Christians. Uh, obviously, you guys don't think that universalism is the best view of scripture, like the interpretation that the Bible has to offer about, about hell. Um, but there nevertheless are people who do that and think that the Bible is best understood in terms of universalism. I would like it to be the case. Yeah, but to um, but to his point though, it still functions as a defeater to the argument that if why would God create people he knew would choose to not go to heaven? Well, he didn't because universal. Yeah, yeah, right. And we would so, I mean that's a defeater to that even if I I'm not convinced of. And it. and we would differentiate too, and I know you would if we were talking about just that topic today evangelical universalism versus other forms of universalism and inclusivism and things like that. So, um, so yeah, but, uh, but yeah. that's true. Now, one thing I want to say real quick on this Molinism thing, I'm not sure if this is the point where I wanted to bring this up, but I'm going to bring it up now. Cause I, so I don't forget it, but is this um, the point that you were telling me about. Yeah. Okay. I, I think I kind of stole your thunder there though. Uh, that's okay because you are, it'll still support what you're saying then, okay. but Graham, Oppie, maybe you can say it in a way that's more, more, uh, Easier I'm going to let Oppie yeah. say it. So Graham okay. Oppie in the book, arguing about gods, um, explains why he doesn't think Molinism is, is works out very well or why he doesn't prefer it. But in talking about Plantinga, he does say this on the question of free will in heaven, which I think is really interesting. So you'll see it on the screen here uh, in front of you. It's, he says, one option here might be to follow the Molinist version of the free will defense developed by Plantinga and discussed above. Suppose that there are true counterfactuals of freedom and that the truth of these counterfactuals of freedom is not something that can just be chosen by a perfect being. For all we know, it is logically possible that when a perfect being comes to create contingent things, it has opened to it, it being God, the option of making a universe in which free creatures freely go wrong that is, uh, that is conjoined to heaven to a heaven in which free creatures always freely go right, but it does not have open to it the option of making a universe in which free creatures always freely go right. It is not clear that this pro proposal makes any additional difficulties for Molinism. However, as I've already argued, I think there are very good independent reasons not to adopt the Molinist version of free will. So you'll have to get his book to talk about those because it's not the point here. But but what he does, what he is saying is here is like maybe there's a feasible world for God to create where there is a heaven where no one ever freely chooses to do evil, but that's not paired with a world where people don't freely choose to do evil. So that in order to get the heaven where people always freely choose to do good, there's you're going to be packaging that with a world where there are evils. And that and if, comes with the consideration that it's logically possible, given the free will, that there could be, but there just won't be. Yeah, and that's an important thing. to Let me just real quick clean this up. Um, not clean up something you said, but clean up what I just said. So when we think about Molinism, we think about, oh, well, isn't there a possible world where everyone freely always does the right thing uh, in both on earth and in heaven? Well, yes, there is a possible world. As far as I can tell, there's nothing contradictory about that world, as far as I know, epistemically. But at the same time, 
that when God gives people free will, that shakes out into a smaller subset, still seemingly, though not actually infinite, a smaller subset of, of feasible worlds. And then among those, this is why William Lane Craig always says, uh, God's got to deal with the cards he's been dealt, you know? So he's got these feasible worlds. And, it, and among those feasible worlds, there's a world where everyone freely does right in heaven, but there's not a world where everyone freely does right in heaven and everyone freely does right on earth. And I just think that's interesting, especially since Oppie comments on it and says basically, yeah, but I don't buy Molinism for other reasons. Right? Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. So, so middle knowledge, if, uh, if he does it, then there's a potential response. The other response is universalism. And then, uh, there, there is the other response that I gave earlier from open theism, which I I'm still, I'm not saying that that's the view that you should hold or just like universalism. It's just the potential that you can go look at and, and research and, and look into. And, and William Hasker is a very big proponent of the view. And, uh, I'm re really excited about interviewing him. Okay. So, uh, that, that aside at the end of the comment that he makes, Mr. Deity, he says, no evil, no suffering, just what any omnibenevolent super being would do. So he says he could just create everyone he knew would choose heaven in heaven. No evil, no suffering, just what an omnibenevolent super being would do. A couple comments on this. First comment is apparently he just knows what a super omnibenevolent being would do. Apparently that's just like something he has as an item of knowledge, which is interesting when you actually think about it. I mean, that was something that, that uh, William Hasker pointed out in this book that I'm currently reading. He's like, there's a, an analogy you can give of like, okay, suppose that you were an insect. Like, what would you do if you were this insect? And you can think, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I do like, maybe I crawl around a little bit. I don't know. And the, and you'd end up being like, I don't really know what I would do. Um, so think about the difference between you and an insect. And then think about the difference between you and God, an omnibenevolent, omniscient, perfectly good being. And you you want to say that you're confident about you're like you know that this is what God would do. I don't, I think that's just a word of caution. Like just be cautious about these these kinds of claims. Not to say that we can't know anything about what God would do, but it's just a word of caution. Like just bro, just like chill out, calm down a second, and let's just uh yeah let's slow down. Okay, uh, so it, well it's, that it's aside, divine psychology. You talked about how he was psychoanalyzing you. Now he's psychoanalyzing yeah. God in a sense because. Um, he knows what God, it's like Dillahunty. I don't think he's going to do this now, but years ago he was saying he was writing a book, uh, if I were God and what he would do if he were God. Mm. Well, the, the, the whole premise is divine psychology. Yeah, think about this. What would the insect do if the insect was Cameron Bertuzzi? Well, the insects frames of reference are so bizarre that it, it's almost nonsensical to ask what he would do if he was Cameron Bertuzzi. What would I do if I was God? Good point. It'd be it'd be a greater disparity, I would think, than the insect to me. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, we're not we're nowhere close to being perfect in rationality. Or, I mean, we, we're very you know we're, we suffer from bias. Everyone does, not just Christians. Everybody does, including atheists. There's just there's so many. There, there's a huge chasm between our cognitive abilities and God's, and so it's just a word of caution. Like just slow down, chill out a little, a little bit. Uh, but here's here's the point that I want to make. The main point is that he seems to be assuming, again, we're looking at all the assumptions that are built into his questions here, that evil, he's assuming that evil and suffering on earth is pointless because he says, surely since God knows everything, he could have just created the people he knew would choose heaven in heaven. No evil, no suffering. So he seems to be like he's assuming that evil and suffering is pointless because if it's not pointless, if God does have a reason for allowing evil and suffering, 
Then, uh, for example, like free will, like we've already talked about that. That's a possible reason. Natural laws. There's a natural law theodicy that I really like. Soul building is actually my favorite theodicy that's been put on offer by Christian theologians. Um, <gasps> then we're back to the analogy that I gave earlier about requiring God to choose between echolocation and eyesight. If you think about it, if there is a good reason why evil and suffering exists, and I just named a couple of theodicies, then God is not forced to choose to put people in heaven because there's a good reason to allow evil and suffering on earth. And so again, it's just like requiring God because, because there's two options, because, because there's an option of having earth and heaven, like does God have to choose between the two? I, I mean, I don't see that, that he's got to do that, that he's got to choose between the two here. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really he's not really, unjust. Uh, if there's some explanation for why he's not unjust and thus immoral. Well, that, it, or, yeah, that, that's a, that's a question about like evil and suffering, whether or not there's a, a reason by behind it. But going back to like the whole question that we're addressing here, which is why not just create everyone in heaven? So the question is, is a world that just contains heaven more uh, better, more valuable? Uh, I, I, you know, in some I think the, the best way to think about it would be is it more valuable than a world that cre- that contains earth and heaven and everything that goes along with you know creating an earth, and so that that ultimately is the the question that that we need to answer here. Not just like are the evils on earth justified, but also is a world that contains earth and heaven more valuable or equally valuable than a world that just contains yeah, heaven? And-, and I think my my view is that a world that contains earth and heaven contains two different kinds of goods that you can't have with just earth or with just heaven. You get different kinds of goods. And just like with the difference between echolocation and sight, those are two different things that, that are you know good in their own unique ways. So why not create a world that has both of them? It increases the interestingness of the world, the beauty, the uh, complexity. It's just, it makes everything, I don't know, to me, it makes everything better if as long as, you know, we've we've got some kind of idea behind why the evil and suffering happens. Then it seems to me like it's completely open to God whether He can He can create a world that contains earth and heaven. And of course, that also, in ter- speaking in terms of value, value to whom it, it may be. You can't. Well, Mr. Deity certainly can't say that it's preferable to have just created a world where everyone choose heaven, and at the same time say, but he wouldn't choose heaven. So it's not preferable to him anyway. Um, but it doesn't matter what's preferable hmm. when you're speaking in terms of value. What did God want? Do, and apparently the world such as it is, where even taking on board what Braxton's talking about, the feasible world where there is to get all of God's purposes accomplished. There's a actual, the actual world that he went with was one that did have sin and evil um, for which he'd send his son to die on the cross for the sins of the world and, and then have a heaven in which free creatures did not sin. Okay. So we got to take into account what God's purposes might be in the demonstration of all of his attributes. And I know that that sounds like rhetoric borrowed from the Calvinists, and they're right about this. God can have purposes that maybe we don't like all his purposes. So what? Yeah, and the, and the answer to uh, the reason I think it's valuable to still consider, and, you know, theodicies, the problem of evil is we're talking about value here. So you're talking about in heaven, there's this value of no sin. And all free choices that in some way honor God or, uh, you know, are in some way morally neutral or morally good, those kind of things. Um, What we want to do is take the whole ball of wax and say, does the evil do the evils that exist during the earth period? um, 
counterbalance the goods that are during the earth period and during the heaven period. And so I think it's all helpful, but um, is there something else you have on that? Or do you want to move nope. on to the next clip? I'm ready for okay, the next Okay, we got clip. two more clips. Hang with us, folks. Got two more clips. All right. Here's, yeah, I know we kind of been going long, but uh, I, I mean, we I'm, don't I'm care good to if stick you don't around. Care. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't care at all. I, I, hopefully, the people that are watching, maybe maybe you guys can let us know if we're if you feel like the stream is going too long. Oh, they're to loving of... it. They they'll stay here all day. Okay, great. Oh, great. Some of them will fall off at three if Mike Winger shows up. But oh um, goodness, I think Mike Weaver is. I think he's not streaming this week because he's having internet problems. So no, don't, don't take my word he's, for that. He's, he fixed it. Oh, well, never mind. Then you can go to Mike Winger at three, but we're here now. So here's the next one talking about is, are we just under duress? What? Being able to choose to love God and enter into a relationship with him is a great good. Well, what exactly is the alternative now? If I don't choose to love God and enter into a relationship with him, he'll torture me forever. I don't think God understands this concept of free will. That's duress. And a choice I don't need. So here's the deal. You can either choose to love me and have a relationship with me, or I'll murder your entire family right in front of you after I rape and sodomize your wife and daughters. I may even... Yeah, I may even do your little guy. Where exactly is the great good again? Suppose that a scientist, like a mad scientist, came up with some kind of love serum that could make anybody you want fall in love with you. Like it might be fun to dream or think about using this serum on somebody, but would you actually want to use it? Wouldn't forced love be less valuable than actual genuine love from someone coming to love you on their own volition? Yes, yes it would. So why the f is your God threatening me with eternal torture if I don't want a relationship with him? Does he really think people are going to genuinely love him while the sword of Jesus Cleese is dangling over their heads? Cameron? There you go. Uh, so the way that I've summarized, I think what his, his view is here is that he's giving us it, what he thinks is the only alternative. So I think that honestly, there, so the way that I've summarized it, God threatens us with eternal conscious torment if we don't love him. So that's basically the the sort of dichotomy that he's setting up here. So you can either love God and enter into heaven, or he's threatening us with eternal conscious torment. So I think that there's really two questions here. So first, the question is, does the Bible affirm eternal conscious torment, which is a very substantive question? Um, and then second, if it does affirm eternal conscious torment, does that view amount to uh, being unjust or unloving? And so what I want to do is work in reverse order. I'm going to address the second question and then the first question. So is eternal conscious torment unjust or unloving? And so the dramatization, kind of weird, uh, the, that he gives, Mr. Deity gives, is basically saying that God is threatening to harm innocent people for no reason. He's threatening to kill and rape people that you love, innocent people, for no reason at all. And like, that's the alternative. You can either love this person or he's going to do all these things to, to um, innocent people for no reason. And so this raise, raises an obvious question. Is this a, a good analogy? Is this a good dramatization? Uh, so are we in a similar position? Are we innocent? Like our family members would be innocent in this story. And so I think that all we really need to do is look at the 20th century to uh, see that the answer to this question is clearly no that human nature is not completely innocent. Um, and since God is perfectly just, 
uh, how should he deal with us? How should he deal with uh, the things that we do? And I think that uh, the same way that any wrongdoing is justly responded to, that's the way that God should do it, is through punishment. I don't know if you got you guys have kids, but when you're when your kids do something wrong, what is the thing that you do in response to that? Is it to just be like, okay, well, you know, guys, go have fun. I, the 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 normal thing that you do when someone does something wrong is you've got to like they deserve punishment. They deserve something, some kind of response, and the response is typically punishment. And so, but if that's what we are, if we're not innocent, if we're guilty, if we've done something wrong, then we deserve punishment. And so, um. Then the question that arises here, though, I'm sure that Mr. Deity is thinking about and, and all of his atheist watchers are thinking about, too, is, well, the punishment we'll, we'll receive on this view, on the eternal conscious torment view, is that it's going to be forever. It's going to go on forever. But no loving being will dole out such an infant, infant punish, infant, in, infinite punishment for a finite crime. That's like the way that this is typically phrased. And uh, so like, think about it like this. So Adolf Hitler did a lot of terrible things. He was the worst, one of the worst people that I think has ever lived. But most people would still say, like, he deserves punishment. But it's not the case that he deserves an infinite amount of punishment for the things that he did. Maybe he, like, you know, should be tortured, uh, not, not tortured, but tormented, um, experience some kind of, like, well, I mean, people go to prison. I would, you, you may consider that torment. I don't know. But uh, he deserves he, maybe some Maybe he kind has of to go for six for million years, right? R- right, right. Or, or maybe even longer than that. Who knows? But it's not the case that he deserves an infinite amount of punishment. And so that's the kind of question that I want to address really quickly. Uh, so the question is, but why think that God is actually doing that? Why do you think that he's doling out an infinite amount of punishment for a finite crime? It seems plausible to me, and this is something that Jerry Wells has pointed out in his work and on my podcast that I did with him. It seems plausible that sin will continue in hell. And in other words, God is doling out an endless series of finite punishments for an endless series of finite sins. So that's, I think, one plausible way of looking at it. Um, And again, this isn't the view that I hold. I lean toward annihilationism, but I don't really see anything morally objectionable morally objectionable with that view. And so uh, let's return to the first question that I I asked at the very beginning of this about the Bible and what the Bible teaches about the nature of hell. Well, before we go there, there, I would just say, yeah, well, first of all, I have the discussion that you did with Walls on Heaven linked in the description as well. But um, I, yeah, this is, I've called this the eternal offender answer. It's like you, in principle, you wouldn't have gone to hell for eternity, but every day that you're there, you're hating God more and all that sort of thing. And so it's it continues infinitely like that. Is that what you're describing? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so that's, the sin just that, continues that's, forever and there's the finite punishment. But then the, the series is, sort of potentially infinite and in that you yeah. continue to sin and you continue to be punished for those sins. But it's not that you're getting like one infinite punishment for one finite sin. It's that you're yeah. continuing to get a finite punishment for a finite sin, but that just, that series never ends. Yeah. That's a, uh, I think William Lane Craig postulates that one as a, I don't know if he says, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's dogmatic yeah, he about does. it, but I know I've had a personal conversation with him about that. And, um, but then, but then, uh, th- there is another explanation that I have used when I've defended eternal conscious torment before. Um, just real quickly, let me sketch that real simple. So let's imagine that my neighbor has a cat that keeps whining at my window at night and it's driving me crazy every time I'm trying to watch TV. So I kill the cat. 
and I might have to pay a fine. I might have to uh, spend the night in jail. I don't know what the penalty is for killing cats because I usually, I never kill cats. Just want to make that clear. But there's a some kind of punishment for, let's say, sinning greatly against a cat. And then let's say my neighbor keeps buying cats, so I go strangle my neighbor. Okay, well, your intuition of justice ought to ramp it up that there is a sin, there is a penalty for sinning greatly against a cat. There is a greater penalty, perhaps equal to my own life, for sinning greatly against a man by killing him. Maybe I have to go to prison for the rest of my life. Maybe I have to receive capital punishment. But many people agree that, that yeah, his life is equal to my life in value, and so there's, there's a greater punishment needed there. And so then ramp it up. Well, what is the punishment then for sinning greatly against an everlasting God? Well, everlasting would be, would be the punishment. And then, of course, the resolution is, but there's an everlasting person who could qualitatively, as an everlasting person, actually defeat that punishment, defeat death, and, and then offer that uh, salvation to us, taking it on our behalf. So that's a way that I have answered it in the past, and that could actually also be used for the annihilationist conditional immortality answer because they will likewise say that the punishment is everlasting. They would just frame it differently. So I'm sorry. Go ahead now. No. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I personally haven't been persuaded by that type of response, but I have been persuaded uh, by the one that you and I or and, and Dr. Craig has has sort of laid out. But again, I'm not really like. I'm not really sold on eternal conscious torment in the first place. So like the whole oh, scenario, oh, but, that but Ms. Cameron, sorry. One thing I did want to say is Chris date, who is probably conditional immortality's most uh, prominent defender right now in terms of a debater. And he actually holds the position that eternal conscious torment, if it were true, which he doesn't think it is, but if it were, it would, it, God would be just to do it. So I think that's a relevant point to make. Yeah, I mean, and that's basically what I'm saying here too. Is that there's there's ways of reconciling God's justice with eternal conscious torment, and the way I think that's that's most reasonable to me is the one that we've we've already talked about. That we do sin, we're not innocent, and our guiltiness, or we're, we're condemned, uh, and we condemn ourselves. I'll talk about that later a little bit, but uh, and that's what the Bible teaches too. Uh, but but. We we're not innocent. We're guilty, and what is what do guilty people deserve? They deserve punishment, and so it just I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And and I, I think that people sort of naturally have this intuition that it's just it'd be wrong if someone like Hitler would just you know they just let him go. And a, a lot of people will even object to the Christian view of of uh, what Jesus did on the cross because they feel like if you know if if Adolf Hitler were to accept Christ into his heart and to like genuinely repent of his sins then he would be in heaven and people will object to that and be like, he shouldn't be in heaven. He should be in hell and he should you know, be, be doing all these things because he deserves punishment. And that's the intuition. So I want to just kind of pump that intuition and be like, no, like our things that we do wrong, like we deserve punishment for our wrongdoing. And it just makes complete sense. The question though, that gets raised so often is, you know, is it, is it just or unlove? Is it unjust or unloving for someone to punish someone for, an infinite amount of time for a finite crime that they commit on earth. And so we just kind of talked about that a little bit. Maybe it's an endless series of sins. Oh, and uh, I, so liked, the, I liked what Jerry Walls said on your show uh, about that. He said, and maybe you just said it because I was reading the chat, but that if Adolf Hitler did end up in heaven, he would actually, this would not be the Adolf Hitler that you've come to hate. This would be an right. Adolf Hitler who has been glorified and um, is in the, you know, thinking, you know, as a, as a believer thinks in, in the presence of God. So this would actually right. be a man who is reformed by the power of God to the point that he'd be a lovely person. 
Right. Yeah. And that, I find that beautiful, but, uh, so let me return to the other, the other question, which was about, does the Bible actually affirm eternal conscious torment? Cause that's, what's built in to this whole thing. And a lot of atheists, it's, it's an easy target because it's something that, that just has these sort of common objections that pop up online all the time. And it's easy to grab onto them and use them as sort of ammunition in your YouTube videos. So, but then the question is actually like, we need to actually look and see what the Bible teaches about eternal conscious torment, if that's actually something affirmed in the Bible or not. And so, as I mentioned earlier, I think that there's at least two other serious biblical alternatives to the traditional view of hell, and that is annihilationism and universalism. And so again, personally, I lean toward annihilationism. I think that's actually the the best reading, best interpretation of the relevant passages in the Bible concerning hell and damnation. So uh, that's basically where where I sit. But in short, in response to this question of whether or not God is threatening us with eternal conscious torment if we don't love him, uh, God is not threatening us with eternal conscious torment if we don't love him. Rather, that is a choice that we ourselves make. It says, as C.S. Lewis uh, famously said, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. And so uh, if you want to see more on that, then listen to my interview with Dr. Jerry Walls. But that's all I got to say on that one. Yeah, I was trying to pull up a PowerPoint that I have, but it's got to download from the email. But um, I have a PowerPoint slide. Believe it or not, there is a PowerPoint slide I have that is in font size 10, 10 point font. So that's somewhat small, not too small. Mm -hmm. But on that one PowerPoint slide, you can fit every single verse in the Bible, like the text of it, that might even possibly be talking about after death judgment, like judgment, not the intermediate state, but judgment. Um, and hell, Gehenna hell, and anything that might possibly be referring to it. And it all fits on one PowerPoint slide in 10 point font. And I will say that you could walk through those as a conditionalist and make sense of each of those passages. So I think that's a relevant thing that those that, that are very, um, uh, I guess, aggressive toward violent toward or upset by the annihilationist perspective the big biblical case that they have is a strong one. So I just think it can't be just dismissed that the hand waving can't, can't be done so easily. All right. Um, Is that it for that clip or is there more? I, I believe so. I don't think he got to uh, other things that I've got to say about further, further stuff. So just play the next one and I'll, I, I think, yeah, I think I'm good to go. Yeah. And the bottom line is everyone sins. Even if you don't believe in an Augustinian understanding of original sin, the reality is, everyone ends up doing their own fair share of sinning. So. Right. <laughs> All right. This one has to do with God's ego. Well, right? I, I uh, do uh, want to yeah, say that sure. it's not any duress. And Cameron touched on this in something that he said um, about what we choose, what we, you know, and what we do and how we live our lives. Uh, any sort of duress, if you're going to, that you might be under is not the ultimatum, so to speak, that love me or I will torture you. It's the judgment that you're going to face because of that sin or receive mercy. Because of what you've done. Yeah. Because of what you've done, like you've legitimately made these actions, like made these choices. You're morally culpable. Yeah. Right. So, so he, he, the wrong framing leads him to various conclusions that are, you know, they're kind of straw men and caricatures that don't reflect. Well, that's why it's important to point out that like the dramatization that he did, it, it highlighted, it contrasted or, or really what he did was he said like, okay, look, I, you can either love me or I'm going to kill all of these innocent people. Right. And that's like, he's trying to make some analogy between that and eternal conscious torment. And it's not analogous at all because of what I was saying earlier about 
we're not innocent. We are guilty. We've done, I mean, all you've got to do is a little bit of introspection. Think about some of the things that you've done. You're not like this saint. You're, you're probably not a saint. Uh, even, even saints have issues and have sins. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, and if you don't think that you have sins, your sin is probably pride. That's probably what you're dealing with. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Hey, real quick. I do want to say this. Dan E says, it's clear God is the author of confusion for there are none more so confused than those who believeth in him. If you examine Christians, this is clearly shown. Now, the reason I read this now, and I noticed that in that color, this looks like the um, intro to Star Wars here a long time ago. And again, but, but I, I just want to say that um, when we're talking about different perspectives that Christians have on theological issues, uh, yeah, that th- we're not, we don't all necessarily agree. Here's what every Orthodox Christian on the face of the planet agrees that God exists. God raised Jesus from the dead. And it's by trusting in Jesus that you'll be a Christian, that you'll be saved. So it's we're not confused about the fundamentals, um, and that's an important thing to point. Any comment yeah, on that, and, Cameron? And it's, and it's not it's not on God; it's on our understandings from different perspectives. That that's yes, because we have free will, yeah. we have imperfect knowledge, and we have biases that sometimes guide our interpretation of Scripture. Even people who are trying not to. So um, yeah. All right, let's yeah, go on to the I last think... thing. Has oh, go ahead, Cameron. I was just going to say that I think disagreement and working things out in a community and like the thing that we're doing here, I may have said this in a previous stream that we've done together is that this stuff is good. Like this is valuable. The fact that you and I can work together and like we've had phone calls where we'll talk about some theological or apologetics related issue. And I really enjoy those phone calls. Like I, I enjoy thinking through these issues with you and with other people that I talk with. And I just, I, I see that as a great valuable good that you couldn't have if there were no, you know, gaps in our knowledge. If there was no opportunity to to grow in in what we know and about about the Bible and about God and Christianity, so I just find that like I think that's a really good. I mean, that's that's kind of a theodicy for uh, the problem of hiddenness. Like, why is God kind of hidden? At least I- even in a, a sort of theological sense. Like, why isn't everything in the Bible super clear? I think that it's a great good that we can work together in community to learn more about the Bible together to uh, to grow and our relationships with, with each other. And that's all really good. And yeah, Chris Day and I are actually uh, talking a lot about that because we're kind of working maybe toward a project related to this because we disagree on several issues. And yet we see that very thing. There is an intrinsic good to learning, discussing, researching, exploring. And you would, you're right. You wouldn't have that if it was a brain in community download. Yeah. In community. And, and the, th- and, um, and that just is one of many that, that we could point to about goods that this earthly imperfection provides us with stories of heroism and courage and the contrast between courage and cowardice. And of course, the value of watching someone or you yourself struggling with something like cancer, as horrific as that is. And I want to be sensitive to people who are experiencing that for sure. But we see it in them. They come out the other side and I beat cancer or, I'm, you know, my mom beat cancer. And there's this uh, character building aspect. There's so many things that come along with experiencing this yep. side of heaven. But, um, yeah, we, we, we could chat about this all day and we'll never get to the next clip. But this one has to do with uh, God's ego on the issue. And this is the last clip. The second reason shines light on the unthinkable goodness of what Jesus did on the cross for us. I mean, sacrificing yourself for like your loved ones or people that love you back is a really, really fantastic good. 
But sacrificing yourself for people that reject you and don't want anything to do with you? Jesus Calise didn't sacrifice himself for the people who reject him and don't want anything to do with him. Those people are going to be tortured forever. Like, can you even imagine a greater act of love than that? Than than saving the people who love you under great duress and torturing forever the people who won't pretend such a thing? Yes, yes, I can. Without any effort whatsoever. But notice that none of this can happen, what Jesus did on the cross. It can't happen without the existence of sin. Well, I'm glad to see a religious person finally admitting that it really is all about him, God. He was obviously bored in his timeless void of nothingness and thought, you know, I'll create sentient beings and put them into an environment of evil with a sinful nature so that I can go down and sacrifice myself to myself and they'll all love me and praise me for it or else because I'll make them too f-ing stupid to realize that this miserable place never had to exist except for my need to play the hero. Jesus can't save us or sacrifice himself for us if we don't need any saving. Okay, I know I said at the beginning that I thought this guy was intelligent, and I do. But these are the kinds of stupid things religions make people say. Jesus Cleese starts the fire, then puts it out, and for that we're all supposed to be grateful after all the damage the fire did to us and our belongings? That's a sociopath. How does Cameron not see that? God wanted to play hero, so we all have to suffer horrifically and die. Cameron, buddy, that's not love. That's Stockholm Syndrome. All right, Cameron, uh, the rapture has occurred and Jonathan Pritchett is gone. But aside from that, uh, that settles all our eschatological questions. What do you think about this? Okay, so toward the end of the clip, there was basically a whole bunch of caricatures of Christian theology. He even said the whole uh, sacrificed himself to himself thing. Oh my uh, gosh. So I'm, yes. What, so actually, I'm not going to. You're not going to get into that? Let me just real quick get no, into that. No, I've, I've addressed it so many times and it's so like. It's simple. Cringy. I mean, it's not it's simple, cringy. but the response is simple. People think, and even many young Christians think, that perhaps when Jesus was on the cross, he was praying to himself or in the garden. But the Trinity is one God, three persons. If it was one God and three gods, that'd be a contradiction. If it was one person and three persons, that'd be a contradiction. One God, three persons isn't a contradiction. It's mysterious, but like a triangle has three distinct points, but they are one triangle, It's which is a classic historic Christian illustration of this uh, that doesn't capture it perfectly, but helps. The, the reality is that God was spe- uh, Jesus was speaking to the Father, yet they were both God. And that's, uh, it's just, it's just a careful theological correction that that you have to make. Sorry. Go ahead, Cameron. Yeah. And I also want to point to the fact that like people do this all the time. Doesn't, it doesn't just happen with religion. People can, can express incredulity and then you can act like you've done something like really important. But I mean, anybody can do that with anything. There's a, you know, quantum mechanics has some really weird, wacky stuff that happens like spooky action at a different, at a distance kind of stuff. And it's like, I don't know how that would make sense given the other laws of physics that I know. And it's like, you could make fun of that and you could say stuff like, how can this person actually believe this? But that kind of incredulity is not really actually doing anything. You're just, you know, you're just saying something and that's getting clipped out. That's going to be a gif. (laughs) Uh, But the the point is that expressing your incredulity, is not an argument. 
It doesn't like amount to actual an actual substantive disagreement with somebody. All you're doing is expressing some kind of like psychological state that you've got. And that's fine. You can do that. You can do whatever you want, but don't pretend like you're actually doing something seriously philosophical. That's one of my favorite Jonathan Pritchett quotes from years ago when I first met him, as he said, your incredulity does not an argument make. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's uh, unfortunately what we have seen a lot today, but let me go back to some of the specific points that he made. So at the very beginning of this clip, I was talking about the uh, second reason I think God would have to create a world that has earth and heaven. And uh, I talked about the fact that God, Jesus, sacrificed himself for people who rejected him and didn't want anything to do with him. And I was thinking when I was writing this about what it takes to sacrifice yourself for loved ones and how great of a good that is to sacrifice uh, something, you know, to sacrifice anything, really. I mean, even something as simple as sacrificing your uh, your money in order for other people to have like clean water. Like that's that's a great good that you can sacrifice. Uh, but then you sacrifice your life for other people like that is really that's like one of the greatest goods. But then think about sacrificing yourself for people that hate you and don't want anything to do with you. Like, is there a greater act of love than that? And that was my question. My question was, is there a greater act of love? than putting down your life for people that reject you. And then here's his answer. Uh, No, that's not what Jesus did. Those people are going to be tortured forever. Um, Actually, so there's another point where he tries to respond to that. Um, But on this point, those people are going to be tortured forever. So I want to take it as obvious that Jesus, or not, not just Jesus, but anyone can sacrifice themselves for someone that doesn't love them right? That's just an obvious thing that can happen. I could sacrifice myself right now for someone who didn't love me. So, uh, but what Mr. D I think might be getting at is that since these people will be in hell forever, again, we're operating on this view of eternal conscious torment, God ultimately sort of wanted them there. I think that's kind of what he's trying to to argue here. These people are going to be tortured forever. So therefore God didn't sacrifice himself for these people because they're going to be in hell forever. Um, But so, not only is that a non sequitur, like that does, doesn't follow at all, it's also completely unbiblical. So in 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, it says, uh, quote, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In oh, quote. Praise the Lord. So the biblical view is that God wants everyone to be saved, but people freely choose, like Mr. Deity, like Matt Dillhoney, to put themselves in hell. That's the honest, sober truth. And so again, like I mentioned the the quote from C.S. Lewis earlier, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. And interestingly, this uh, this verse I just pointed out here, 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, is actually uh, what universalists use, some of them anyways, as evidence that all will eventually be saved. But I just wanted to address that really quickly. Jesus didn't sacrifice himself for people that rejected him because they're going to be tortured forever. Like that doesn't follow. It's also unbiblical. Uh, any thoughts on that before I get to the other one, the the, the next point I want to make? I don't have anything okay. to say about that. I mean, there's things I okay. could say, but I won't say. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So then, I I started this uh, this line of or what I was what I was talking about in this last section. Uh, I, I jumped ahead a little bit. So I asked the question: Is there a greater act of love than sacrificing yourself for people that reject you and hate you and don't want anything to do with you? And he says, "Quote." 
Then saving, I want to do it in his high voice. Then saving the people who love you under great duress and torturing forever the people who won't pretend such a thing. I don't know if that's the right word there, pretend. Uh, but But then he says, yes, yes, I can without any effort whatsoever. And then he never offers an alternative. Like he just, he doesn't answer the question. Yes, yes, I can do that without any effort whatsoever. Bro, then give it to me. Like what's, what is the bet? What's the greater act yeah. of love? He he never did it. Um, yeah. So, but interestingly, like I said, he didn't offer, not only did he not a, a offer a greater act of love than that, he, instead what he did was he completely misrepresented my question and then did he then go fail to give an answer to it? So he misrepresented it and then he failed to give an answer. So charitably though, I think what Mr. Deity believes uh, is that his representation of my question was a more accurate representation of what happens in the Christian story. So even though it was a misrepresentation of my question, he's nevertheless thinking that he's actually representing Christianity more accurately than I am. That's that's false. But um, the, the actual, like I said, the actual biblical data tells a completely different story. Not only do we have 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, that tells us that God wants everyone to be saved. We have Romans 1 and 2 that explains the nature of condemnation. We don't live up to our own standards that we put on ourselves, and thus that is how we are condemned. We condemn ourselves through our own standards. We don't live up to our own standards, in other words. And so that is on the Christian story, how we are condemned. And so, yeah, I mean, it it, it does actually go back to, uh, I think the Christian story is rep- best represented by, by what I said, that we are the ones who rejected God, didn't want anything to do with him, and he was the one who sacrificed himself for us in that state. And I cannot imagine a greater act of love than that. Apparently Mr. Deity can't either because he didn't offer one. Uh, but that's that's basically all I've got to say. He said some other things that we already kind of addressed, the uh, caricatures of Christianity. He's, he's espousing modalism and like, like I don't know. Uh, but that yeah, that's basically all I've got to say. That's actually the end of my note. Well, I certainly agree with uh, your assessment. I can imagine some people with certain theological perspectives might frame it up differently, but I'm with you, and I think you're right. So, um, yeah, so at this point, that's kind of the response. Uh, big picture, it looks like um, there were things that he was saying that were not exactly the point Cameron was making. Um, he didn't address the third reason that I gave. It didn't seem like he really took what I was saying uh, there was like, a in video. context. He had a follow-up video that I watched uh, where he played the rest of what you were saying and continued. Oh, oh okay. Well, There's a part two to that. May have to do that someday. But uh, but yeah, so so there it is. Uh, now, have you got time for a couple of questions, Cameron? Yeah, yeah, I've got time. I okay, do have now, to leave in about, uh, say, 20 minutes. I've got to pick up my daughter from school. Okay, well, we'll I, I hate to do this, and we'll try not to just do this, but I'm going to go to the Super Chats and uh, in case there's someone that really wanted you to particularly see something uh let's see okay i'm gonna find those real quick i'm not as clever at this i haven't done as many live streams as you cameron so you've become somewhat of a live stream ninja and i have not it's kind of yeah you've got to find a way you got to put it all together like in advance make sure that you've got all the questions lined that's one of the good things about ecamm live and i'm actually talking right now so i can allow you forward you time to get your stuff together uh, there's a cool feature in Ecamm Live where you can like star a comment and it puts okay. it in like this new favorite comments thing. And you can okay, click so on I'm that using tab. Ecamm Live, but I'm not aware of that. So after we get done, you have to show me. 
But logical, okay. plausible, probable says, um, okay, okay, not, not oh, he says, it's okay, not to read this. <laughs> okay. I'll take you up on that. Thank you for oh, the no, super no, chat. No. Oh, you want it read? <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Okay. It's becoming very obvious that regardless of age, most YouTube atheists are still little boys, mentally interesting and disturbing. Yeah. There's logical, plausible, probable thoughts on that. Uh, let's see. We've also got Uber Scheiser says, for you dudes, have a great weekend. Oh, and Pritchett, you inspired me. I am down 25 pounds this past few weeks. Way to go. That's a lot of weight. I wish in a someone few weeks. else would be inspired by that. I, hey, I, I'm, I'm doing it now. Okay. I'm doing it. All right. You're back on the wagon. Huh? Back, yeah, I'm on the wagon. That you fell off. I'm driving the wagon. Okay, Jeremy Scott Despain. I met him at the Rethinking Hell Conference. Cool guy. Great channel. Check him out. Great trio and discussion. Do you think free choice has a direct correlation? Wait, do you think free choice has a direct correlation to our knowledge of good and evil? Um, not sure exactly what you mean there. Well, Adam's choice to... Adam did not have a knowledge of good and evil in the sense that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would supply it, however you understand that story. But I still think that it was a libertarian choice for the following reason. He was still an agent able to choose among a range of options, and he knew what God had told him about the tree. Mm -hmm. Eve knew what God had told them, presumably, about the tree. And, uh, And they knew about the tree of life instead. And so I actually think there, before the knowledge of good and evil in the sense of eating of the tree happened, you actually, every day they came into the garden, they made a choice. You can choose. Uh, I actually think this is why the tree's in the garden. I admit this is speculative. But um, but if in order for there to be real love, genuine love, there has to be the option to choose to serve self and not to give of yourself for the good of another. And every day when Adam and Eve went to the midst of the garden, they could choose between the tree of life and all the other trees or choose self and to disobey God and eat of the knowledge of good and evil. And they chose to, to, to serve self. So I actually think there was a libertarianly free choice there before they had the knowledge of good and evil experiential knowledge of good yeah. and evil. They had propositional knowledge. Right. Cameron, any thoughts on that? I was going to say the same thing. From, I, I don't have super, uh, a, a really deep familiarity with that text, but I have heard people say that the knowledge that they're talking about there, knowledge of good and evil is experiential. So like if you experience doing wrong or experience doing good, then you have the kind of knowledge in question that's talked about in Genesis yes. and that, and that story and that narrative. So uh, that's that's what they're talking about. They weren't they weren't talking about whether or not you just know that something is right or wrong. They're talking about whether you've experienced it. You actually made a right or wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. I could have all propositional knowledge about skydiving, but that doesn't mean I've been skydiving and know what it's like. The what it's likeness. You've never been skydiving. Oh yeah, I've I've heard the analogy of uh, playing baseball. Like you can read all about baseball, but until you actually play the game, then you really know about baseball. Yeah, now this one's really cool, Cameron. I definitely wanted to get to this one. Christian Boomer says, proud patron of Capturing Christianity. Capturing Christianity's ministry and Cameron being available to field questions for me in the DMs saved my faith. Thank you for hosting this convo. Absolutely. You're welcome, and thank you for the super chat. Thank you, for Cameron, for letting for inviting himself to... Yeah, Cameron, your 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 camera's like sticking a little bit now, and it could I'm sure it's on our end since you're like Mr. Livestream. But just wanted you to know. Here we go. Does my voice, is my voice sticking too? Your voice yeah. is unaffected. Okay. Yeah, I don't know okay, what's log- going on. Logical, plausible, probable says, video yesterday with Joe was epic. Can I clip the section on lactheism 
I used some of his references in debate last month, was told I didn't understand. Didn't understand what? What were you told you didn't understand? I think he's saying that he used some some of the material that Joe mentioned and was told by who he was debating that he didn't understand. But is, mm. is it okay with you? He's asking if he clips that video out. That's yeah, that should that should be okay. I, I Typically, people just do it without asking. So unless it's like you're trying to take views away from the channel, that might be an issue. But I don't I don't think that that's really going to happen either way. But I I do plan on clipping some of that out myself. So the lack theism, theism section, I'll probably end up doing that too myself. So uh, if you want to just wait around a little bit, then I'm going to do it regardless. And so you can just use that if you needed to use it to like send to people. I'm probably just going to do it myself because people have messaged and said that it's so super helpful for them. So uh, if that's the purpose of it and you can just wait for me to do it in the, the next couple of days, then just stick around for it. Christ is King forever. Thank you for the super chat. It says hello, faith family in the comment box. Okay. So there you go. And Mr. Mr. Phil, Phil Fox. Thanks for the great content. Thank and you thank you for chat. that substantial yeah, super chat. Appreciate I so appreciate it. Well, y'all go subscribe to Mr. Phil Fox's channel and watch the, I think now four episodes with him, uh, Chris Bryan Samuel and MJ Jackson. Those are good. And then I'm on there too on a couple times, but all his content's great. Logical, plausible, again. probable again says Cameron's debate series against rational rationality rules was hilarious. He was very, he very nicely annihilated um, standard YouTube atheist talking points, uh, st- atheist talking point. Stupidity. And then he used the S word, but yes. <laughs> Well, what's going around today? Jim Amberg hey, is hey. on the Appalachian Trail. My wife's dream is to walk the Appalachian Trail, all of it. So thank you for that substantial super chat. That's another person right. who has really, really, I mean, many of these people yeah. really helped out our channel a lot. Yeah. But so uh, awesome. all right, Derek Beeler, I knew you'd be in here. Derek. Thank you for that super chat. Have to run, but still wanted to say hey to my favorite Trinitarians. Hey, hey. Also, love you too, Cameron, and your hair. Absolutely. Best hair in Thanks. the business. It is the actually it is Jonathan the is the one who uh, who cuts my hair. Five dollars from the unapologetic apologist who has who actually has the best hair in the business. I've had all three of these lovely gentlemen on my show. Well, two lovely gentlemen, and then Jonathan Pritchett. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. Okay, Doctor Cameron Bertuzzi has a cool ring to it. Thanks, yeah, Angel yeah. WVM. Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's like that's a lot of work. I'm not. Yeah, he's busy. I also time. don't, I don't see the value in it pers- with what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's gone. Um, that's been, that's been something that people have brought up over and over and over is like, are you going to go get a master's? Are you going to go get a doctorate? And no, you never know though. For, life, you may have a long life ahead of you and, and you're, when that hair starts to gray out a little bit and all that, you may get interested. You never know. Uber Scheiser, who credits Jonathan Pritchett with helping them lose weight, says somebody named Doug is watching you live right now with over 400 viewers. At least give him a shout out for publicity. Sure. If Midlife Crisis was a YouTube channel, this will be the best content on his channel since the last time he featured any of the three of us. So that's fine. I'm just going to throw this one up there and thank you for the super chat, but it's there in case anybody wants to see it. Um, that's an acronym I had not heard before. All right. Uh, let's uh, see. I think we're almost down to the bottom of it. Um, I, Sentinel apologetics. I want to say, I appreciate the super chat, but I, 
Come on, man. I'm not going to put that up. It might have been. Um, he might have been just being facetious, though. He wasn't. Oh, was he not? I don't think so. Um, so, but thank, but I do thank you for the super chat. Uh, oh, I always take those kinds of things as people being facetious. I, it's safer when it's you and me, but we got a guest on here. We got to yeah. treat our guests. Or right. if it's just mean about us, we don't really care. We're like, hey. All right, I'll tell you what. Camera looks confused, so I'm going to put it up. All right. Okay. Well, now I need to see it. Yeah, I'm going to put it up on the screen because now it's worse than if I hadn't said anything. Sentinel Apologetics, what an absolute waste of time this has been, in all caps. Cameron, you really need to stop bloviating and get to the point. I'm speaking here in tough love. Yeah, that's got to be, he's got to be, that's got to be tongue-in-cheek. No, I no, I don't think it was. Yeah, I don't think it was. Okay. Well, do, do, can I respond to that? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Bloviate. Okay. Uh, yes, add so, as yeah. much bloviation as you possibly can. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think I was bloviating at all. I was trying to do what I sort of always do when I think about these things is try to think about them systematically and try to put them in uh, terms that sort of already exist in the literature. Because all of these questions that he's been asking, all of the objections have been raised and talked about and uh, have been raised in different ways. And so there's just so much, so many different things to say. And I just put it in words that that make most sense to me. So yeah, and I want to tell you it something. Was, it else, wasn't an attempt at bloviating or anything. It was trying. I was actually trying to be as clear as possible. That's why I like to yeah. say so Unlike many things. Unlike me, hey, look. But even if you were bloviate, I bloviate all the time. We have a, uh, a sizable portion of our audience comes just to hear me bloviate about stuff and never get to the point. So there's nothing wrong yeah, with that I mean, anyway. So even if you were doing it, there was a few times where I I even like reinterpreted what he was saying or like a question that he asked to try to be charitable, to like really get at what the heart of what he was trying to express was, as opposed to just like responding to the surface level interpretation of like just, the, yeah. So that that may also have been one of the reasons why it went a little bit longer than normal is because I was trying to be like, okay, well, this is obviously false, but maybe he was trying to say this. So that, that can definitely make things well, run longer. It, but that was that was the intent. The intent was to to really like address what he was actually trying to get at and then spend some time just talking about some of the, the different things that are involved and just get at the truth. That was ultimately what it was about. Yeah. And also it should be, it should be mentioned here. This is a relevant point to anyone in this community of YouTube worldview discussions is we, we, those of us who like to talk about these things and read these books and all that, some people make YouTube channels where that's all they do is talk about whatever's their favorite thing at the time. And it might be some obscure thing in Plantingo or, or Row or something like that. And, and so the conversation is, is on that level. But part of what you should be doing on a good YouTube channel, um, I guess it depends on the utility of the channel, but for our channel, and I think Cameron's channel, is to make some stuff that seems kind of difficult accessible to people who are new to the community because we have people here all the time who are new to the community. And so we've talked here about the nature of hell, the nature of uh, the problem of evil, free will in heaven, the Trinity, all kinds of interesting topics that if someone, yeah, for people like us who know it all, uh, know it all, <laughs> who know about all these topics, at least to a certain degree. Yeah. Some of this stuff might be, might be rehash. But at the same time, it's uh, it's new for somebody and helpful for that reason. Yeah. Nope, there's one. But here's one for you, camera. This is a salve for your camera, soul. Cameron. What is it like being smart? Yeah, Cameron, what's that like? You guys got to tell me. Jonathan, mainly. Jonathan, tell me. Yeah, thanks. Jonathan, it's, you tell us. Nah, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> I, uh, I wish I could ask that to someone like uh, Oppie. Who I've got on my channel every now and then. 
Yeah, I don't know. Maverick Christian's giving me a uh, super chat, and I appreciate it, but you're saying something like camera, Ecamm Live, Skype, something. I don't It's greater than Skype. Greater than Skype, which is exactly what Cameron told you before we started, which is why we spent money to upgrade. <sighs> yeah. So, the doubled, doubled the money we're giving to Ecamm. Yes. Oh, logical, plausible, probable again. No, I'm just grabbing the short segment on lactheism. Okay, well, you, you've heard the response right. given. Yeah. Um, we are made, here's a substantive. We are made in God's image. We have a sense of humor. So do any of you believe that God has one? How does it differ? Can we not find some things funny? Uh, yes, I don't know. And yes, we can. I think God has a sense of humor. I don't know how it's different, but uh, yeah, we can, we can find things funny. It's, that's fine. Here's one for you guys. Are there any, um, well, didn't go. Are there any good secular arguments against modern genre ideology? Christians haven't done a good job with this. I don't know what that is. Cameron. I don't know either. Jonathan. Yeah. Apparently we haven't done a very good job. You're right. <laughs> modern genre. Okay, uh, maybe you can tell us, but thank you for the super chat. Um, let's see. Uh, here we go. Oh. The recent presidential election has for a lot of harm in the Christian community. My Christian friends refuse to get vaccinated and some are anti-mask. Is there anything I could do? Well, you just opened up a big old can of worms, didn't you? Um, uh, Cameron, I, I, well, let me just say, this is going to upset some people and thrill others, but I am registered to be vaccinated I don't know about Pritchett and Cameron. What what are your thoughts on all this? I've already got my second vaccine. I think that uh, wearing a mask, I think wearing a mask, you can use some Pascalian reasoning to defend wearing a mask. So I'm I'm very much pro-mask, pro-vaccine personally. That's all I've got to say. Cameron, you need to have the head of the human gene. No, because I was watching the news yesterday and I thought that I saw France. It's Francis Collins. I saw Francis Collins on there and years and years ago, I read his language of God and I thought, wonder if that guy would come on. But actually, Cameron, you have a bigger channel. You probably have a better chance of getting him on. So I actually would we'll love see. to see that video. I think we lost you for a second. You there, Cameron? I'm here. Okay. You're going to get Francis said- Collins on? I said, we'll see. Okay. Uh, Rank. That may be it. That's the end of the the, the stuff. So um, I did see that Vera, one of our regulars, said that she's about as close to Catholicism as you are. And I think she interprets that to mean you're halfway across the Tiber. But um, but, uh, I think that's the end of the questions I really wanted wanted to get to. But uh, Cameron, do you have anything else to say before we close it out so people can get to Mike Winger? Uh, no, I think Mike Winger has already started actually, if he starts right on, on the dot. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like the topic of heaven and whether or not it's valuable and, or whether it's more valuable than a world that has earth and heaven, I think it's just really important to think about. It's a lot of fun to think about. And so I was, that's part of the reason why I was so excited to do this with you guys today was that it's just a really cool topic. So yep. yeah, it that's, is a cool uh, topic. that's all I got to say. Oh, real quick. Oh, thank you guys for, for inviting me on. No, nope. you're always welcome. 
you want to call me up in the middle of the night, I'll be like, I'll go down to the office. We'll go on. We'll go live. <laughs> um, Numa Apologetic says, I meant gender ideology. <laughs> you see what? That could have caught somebody in a lie. Someone could have been like, oh, yes, genre ideology. I know all about that. Right. And, and they'd have been lying and they'd have been caught. So always be honest and tell the truth. Gender ideology. I'll tell you what, Numa, I really appreciate your um, contributions here. That is a huge topic. I don't think we can do it justice now that the closing music has already started. But I promise you we'll take take it as the first question. Help me remember. Okay. We'll take it as the first question on next Friday's live stream. Yep. Okay? And uh, with that, uh, we keep getting super chats, but it's okay. we got to go. Um, Marilyn Murphy says the vaccine is the mark of the beast. $5. Thank you so much. I appreciate I that. And uh, face, <laughs> But there's a smiley face. There's, there's a, a cry face. face. Yeah. All right. Uh, Okay, well, Cameron, we love you. We're big fans. Thank you for all the help you've Go given subscribe us. subscribe if you haven't. And with that, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. <laughs>